Am I ready? I'm not sure if I'm really ready. I never know if I'm actually ready. Can you ask me again if I'm ready just so they can hear you? Are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> I'm ready because he is risen. You are paid for. That makes you immortal now. He's not going to be long anyway. You found the Mad Christian Saturday morning chill. Stick around. Hey, Internet, he is risen. You are paid for. That makes you immortal now. He's not going to be long anyway. The water seals it. The food feeds it. That's Christianity. And this is the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill. Check it out. We are going to be talking about all sorts of things today, from confessions of a former warlock to women in sports to do tattoos tie you to evil in some way. But before any of that, right off the bat, instead of the normal monologue, we got a special guest today. His name is Lieutenant Aaron Shim. He is someone who I don't know anything about, but he has reached out to me because he wants to talk about something that I do care about a great deal. And that is being a, his word, zealot for Jesus Christ. It's a biblical word. We're going to talk about what that means. I like the idea of being a a mad Christian, you know, a a fanatic maybe for Jesus Christ, someone who is radically sold out to the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? So zealotry, uh, the jealousy of religion right now with Lieutenant Aaron Shim. Uh, Lieutenant Shim, am I pronouncing your last name right? Let's just do that first. No, you got it. You nailed it. Okay. okay, Excellent. So Lieutenant Aaron Shim, uh, upcoming book on what the word zealot, the idea of the armor of God as application to Christian life. And then tell me a little bit about also yourself, then your history, what led you to want to wanna, uh, create this book. And then uh, Pastor Ben Shim is someone you're working with as well. Uh, maybe where he's at, his location, and, and then what brought you guys to this point that you feel this is so necessary a topic for today's Christians to hear about? Um, well, my... The- brother is a pastor over in Wisconsin, and uh, he's, you know, Pastor Ben Shem. And uh, so, yes, we are working on a project exploring the word zealot, the armor of God, the concept of uh, the Christian soldier, which is obviously scriptural, talked about in several different parts. Um, And uh, as, you know, we we had the blessing growing up, we, we grew up in a professional church working family you know dad was a minister of music or, or director of parish music depending on what you want to call it um, my mom was a Lutheran school teacher uh, grandpa was a pastor you know so we have kind of a legacy of professional church work and so we had that immersion of being in the church and so that granted us a little bit of a edge as, as far as having a higher education level of theology and um, biblical teachings growing up, which is which was a big blessing. Yeah, and, if I can if I can just kind of agree with that, uh, as a son of a professional church worker, uh, being a, a parish musician also, the church calendar was just part of your life, right? And so whether you whether you were like being taught anything or not, the the life of the church was your life and you kind of inhabited those seasons. And uh, yeah, that was definitely um, balancing would be what I would call it. It was it was a really beneficial way that the church culture was present in my life. Yeah. So I'll keep going. Keep going. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as this used to go, we grow, we grow up, we choose our life paths. I mine winded around a little bit different uh, way. You know, I went to I actually went to college Concordia uh, University in Seward, Nebraska, and I was actually in a in an art scholarship because what I made what I did when I was younger I just I made things and so that's kind of the path I chose. But the war in Iraq and Afghanistan was still on. There was a call for more troops. It's you know mm-hmm. it was something that had always been in the back of my mind that I really came to 
need to do. So I signed up, um, went to basic training. AIT was uh, MOSQ'd as a carpentry masonry specialist. I went on to OCS, officer candidacy school, became a lieutenant, and eventually an engineer officer, and was with the Michigan National Guard for eight years in various positions. Um, one of my last positions was as an executive officer in a combat engineer unit here in Michigan. And so as I was going through that, I was getting you know all this training, living that life while also balancing my civilian life, which I was a director of operations at a church for a while. Um, and I was just noticing the stark parallels uh, between the soldierly life and elements of the faith, uh, which makes sense because, you know, uh, St. Paul and, and others talk about the armor of God being soldiers of the cross, et cetera, et cetera. And the connections that I was making um, were very, very potent to me. Um, but it was also something that I wasn't really, those connections I didn't really see happening in the church that I was active in or in other churches that I've been active in and, 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 you know, not that it's anybody's fault necessarily, but it's just one of those things when, when you are not in a particular profession and you try to learn about something, it's, it's easier. Like you talk about Christ is the good shepherd. You can learn, get some really good insights talking to a shepherd. You talk about uh, Christ as the cornerstone. You talk, you learn about masonry and those are there you can pull some little insights in there that add that 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 support and really kind of expand your understanding of those verses and the meaning and i would same thing with soldiering christian soldiering as a soldier i was starting to make certain connections between like the armor of god um of of um kind of word and sacrament as the mm, rations, yeah. so to speak, the army rations that we need to sustain ourselves, all that good stuff. And I wanted to put it into words. And so I got with my brother, you know, so to, so we could balance each other out. Cause you know, I'm not a trained professional pastor. So I'm, <laughs> he's helping me make sure I'm staying theologically sound. Yeah, iron sharpens um, iron anyway. So it's, it's always good to run your theology off someone else who has a, a foot in the game. Oh yeah. Nah. Oh, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, we're moving forward with this project slowly, but uh, it's something that we're excited to do. So if I can summarize everything about your concern when you talk about what you see in the church, I think uh, it's a, a noticeable lack of discipline, which uh, probably coincides with a noticeable lack of wisdom. And the Lutheran Church, particularly, we don't have a noticeable lack of knowledge. I don't think anybody could accuse us of having a noticeable lack of knowledge. Yeah. But where that knowledge intersects with the world and how we engage the world, i.e. wisdom, and then what we are doing with it ourselves, like how we compel ourselves to be different than the world, that is discipline, those are the things that seem to be lacking. And certainly, the, the metaphor, if we can say it's a metaphor, of the armor of God, has got to be one of the absolute best places to re-masculinize, uh, re-militarize, 
uh, to move toward a martial mindset of the Christian faith, uh, that God calls us all sons of God in the New Testament and bids us rise to fight the beautiful war. You know, Paul says, hey, you know, finish the race, fight the fight, not as one who, who beats the air. So it sounds like that's what you're after. Um, so talk about the word zealot a little bit and what you and, and uh, your brother Ben have found on that. I, I know when I hear that word, my first thought is, okay, these are the guys who were like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes only they're not mentioned as much. Barabbas probably was one of these guys, terrorists that get mentioned as various things in the New Testament era, right? Koine era, uh, opponents of Jesus, descendants of the Maccabean tradition or, or ideology, wanting the Maccabees to rise again. Um, so w- what else can you add to that kind of loose survey New Testament idea? Well, I, I latched onto the word zealot because, well, partially because it is kind of divisive. Hmm. Uh, it's something where, it, it does make people very uncomfortable, especially in the Western Christian church, well, in the church in America, where we've had it kind of cushy for a long time. We've had um, it good. So, it's been good. Uh, yeah. And so getting into when it, I've, I've noticed different people I've talked to, that my relatives have talked to, that my friends have talked to, you start talking about terms like church militant mm-hmm. or, or Christian soldier and really getting into that, or you know, zealot. Um, people start shifting around, getting really uncomfortable because they don't. It does. They do not like that side of it. it, it try uh, try praying Psalm like twenty eight or one hundred forty nine sometime. See how it goes. Yeah. One one thirty one thirty seven. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. And so um, I latched onto the word zealot. Uh, knowing that, I mean, there's a very long history of a lot of negative connotations mm-hmm. to the word. And, it, and yeah, there have been a lot of zealots throughout history who did it wrong. You know, there it's, it's, you know, we can all respect someone for being zealous in their beliefs, but when you start connecting that word for, to the kind of blind fanaticism that can go along with it, um, it, it makes sense that it makes people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, but, you know, when you have the, the, when you believe you have the truth, because we all make decisions every day, we, we believe certain things and act on certain things, and we try to get other people to believe and act certain things too. Mm-hmm. I mean, that you could, I mean, when you talk about zealot, a zealot is really nothing more or less than someone who believes something, wants other t- people to believe it too, and then yeah. acts on it. A missionary, for pity's sake, you know? It's a missionary. Uh, you know, and and uh, the word that I was thinking of before uh, missionary popped into mind was the word passion. So zeal and passion are, are really not far removed. And everybody wants everyone to be passionate about everything these days. Oh, I find oh, yeah. your passion, you know. Um, but, but, you know, zeal, yeah, you want to be zealous. But then this, again, zealot, it, this is, shows you how fascinatingly not etymological English really is as a language. Our words have these, like, hyper-narrow meanings that aren't really their original meanings. And it, I think it leads to a lot of confusion, frankly. So I'm, I like what you're doing, which is uh, reappropriating the word and saying like, yeah, okay, so over in that corner, you guys used it in a really narrow way to mean only bad things, but whatever, uh, this is my language. <laughs> and I'm going to use it to mean what it used to mean, right? Which means uh, one who is, here's another word maybe connected to it, one who is jealous for the things of God. And that's language that's definitely biblical, definitely godly language. Did you run into that word jealous on this study at all? I'm curious. Um, not necessarily, not really. Uh, I mean, uh, the connection is obviously there. I guess my 
uh, focus was a little more on the connection the, the connections that I was seeing on you know other other elements of it the parallels between the soldierly life and the daily grind the dustiness the the reality of it well talk about and, that then talk about some of those parallels or one of those parallels um, well uh, in the section about uh, the armor of God you know there's it's just one section of of the uh, project the book that we're uh, writing and it's a section about getting to know your gear um, People love thinking about armor, you know, people, you know, they get, they get excited about uh, thinking about being a soldier because they think about, you know, the shiny medals, the parades, you know, mm. the funs, the fun part of it. They don't necessarily think so much about the sleeping in the dirt, the, you know, the carrying heavy loads over rocky terrain, mm-hmm. the discomfort, the heat, the... Are you familiar with the term LARP? Do you know what that means? Sorry, sorry, say again. Yeah. Are you familiar with the term LARP or LARPing? Have you ever heard that term before? L-A-R-P? Oh, I've, I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I guess what you're getting at here is, like, a lot of people want to LARP with armor. Like, they're, yeah. they're like, oh, man, that's that's a cool costume. And mm-hmm. what, what you're saying here is that uh, real warfare in the world, people who LARP die, and that what you're noticing is that seems to be the same thing with the faith, right? Like, you can LARP the faith, and that's not so good. Uh, and what yeah. you want is something, you know, a faith that enacts and grabs the words and the gear. So, w- w- of the armor of God, what's your favorite piece of gear? Do you have one? Ooh, I think you know my personality type. I think I'd have to end up going to the sword. Okay. You know, yeah. Being a soldier. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, but I mean, you look at each element, and you know, they are really fascinating as far as how you know. You know, all of the pieces of armor really revolve around the individual. God, you know, equipping them, bringing them to the faith, helping keep them safe, helping keep them alive when they're under fire. Because, I mean, you got to remember, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's neat to think about armor, but the reason you are issued armor is because there are other people out there trying to kill you. Yeah, yeah. Flaming darts and whatnot. Point. Yeah. And so... And when it comes to the armor, you know, the helmet, the shield, the breastplate, the, the, the shoes, you know, everything revolves around uh, supporting uh, the individual, keeping them alive, keeping them grounded, keeping them connected to God. Hmm. And then you have the sword, which when you, okay, so swords, yes, you, people think of parrying and the whole swashbuckling thing. But really when paired with armor, the whole purpose and point of the sword is that it is an offensive yeah. weapon. Yeah, hack and slash, baby. And it, yeah, it is It is something where the whole the whole thing around the sword that God gives you is this is, you're going to need this to take action against the enemy. Absolutely, absolutely. And not only take action against the enemy, but we also have to remember as Christian soldiers, the people that we're dealing with, that we're coming across in life, that we're, that we're walking alongside, even though they're not on they're not on our side. Um, they are not necessarily the enemy. They are the objective. They are the hill that God wants to take. Well, oh man! So the sleepwalker zombie wandering around next to you, not really the enemy, except trying to eat you at most times, needs to have a sword shoved through their heart. The sword mm-hmm. that's going to be shoved through their heart 
miraculously will not only kill but raise them, right? This is the sword of the word of God that you're yeah. talking about, right? And so, yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and this idea, I love uh, the, the, the idea that the sword is an offensive weapon. Uh, and especially because, think of the context of Paul's writing, we're, we're in the Greek and the Roman world, where the gladius is the sword that's being referenced. In fact, it might even be the word gladius there in Greek. I'd have to go back and look again. But a gladius, you know, a, a, what, a hand and a, a, or a, an arm's length and a little bit more, not much, made effectively for stabbing from behind a shield while in legionnaire kind of spread um, I'm losing the word of that uh, phalanx uh, form that the Greeks perfected, right? So all these other things you have are so that you can stand with your group and the arrows can't get to you. But you have a sword that with your in a group and you're all going hooah, hooah, together at the same time. You just march forward against anybody and push them right out of the way, right? And so the sword is your offensive weapon, and I like to connect that idea to offense and offending people <laughs> you know you play offense so you win the game you offend people when you talk in our culture oh that's when you're supposed to be silent but that's why a zealot a zealot kind of faith is what you really need right one that is not silenced but continues to to wield that sword yeah right right i think many times people get caught in the the comfort the comfort level of being a peacekeeper um and it makes a, it ends up really being an excuse to be gun shy um to not offend to not burn bridges or anything like that when really um a lot of the time that's just kind of kind of an excuse of not taking action when you're called to yeah yeah a gun shy peacekeeper don't do much good in the town let me tell you <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's not what you need you need a sheriff's going to go out and pull that gun out if he has to to keep the peace but again what's the gun being used here it is it is that wisdom and that discipline that goes with the knowledge of the scriptures that uh, a christian man a christian household and a christian flock under the pastor all of us are supposed to be reflecting that right so we're in that word reading that word imbibing that word speaking that word and that's your sword uh, the sword is Christ, right? And the sword is this this word of Scripture. Um, mm-hmm. What else did you find? I mean, what else is fascinating that I haven't said that you haven't said that was worth sharing? Well, one last thing about the sword that I find very interesting is that for context, it's really like wielding a weapon that has a mind of its own. Hmm. And you're kind of touching on that, but I, it's something that really struck me how, you know, it is it like any weapon that you're issued, it can be misused. You can't have, there are negligent discharges, you know, where you're not paying attention. And there's, there's, there's uh, levels of that. It's like you have a moment of, oh, I forgot to put my weapon on safe. Click, now it's good. Um, and then you have the people who shoot themselves in the foot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have other people who very willfully misuse it. And God's word, in a lot of ways, is no different. Um, well, with one difference. God's, God's word is often misused. Um, sometimes it's just a mistake. We're all growing in the faith. We misunderstand something and we shoot our mouth off, so to speak, and we can trust that God's going to fix it because he does. Um, but, uh, then there are those who willfully misuse it. And Mm -hmm. the main, the key difference between God's weapon, his word and the, the, our, our human mortal weapons is that God's weapon, God's sword is not fully controlled by us Mm -hmm. you know we're issued it we're using it but god 
God's word is in charge, really. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, yeah, you're thrusting it into the chest of your enemy, so to speak. But it may not be bringing them death. Mm-hmm. It may, it, you know, the hope is that it's bringing them life. Um, and yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it's it's uh, a con- oftentimes a conflict scenario, but sometimes it can be a comfort scenario uh, where you're dealing with someone who is broken and wanting and and thirsting for the word, and it's a great opportunity to to engage that word and you know engage in in the combat that people don't even think right, right. in those terms when they're in the moment. Um, but, I like to think you know, that every moment is effectively combat, whether it's a apparently prosperous moment or whether it's a more arduous and challenging moment. It is always an opportunity mm-hmm. to exercise my faith. At this point, like literally the game for me is by seeing if I can have the word of God come out of my mouth again more today. You know, rather mm-hmm. than dreaming up what I can go do on my own, trying to bring Psalms, Proverbs to bear on real life, and not in a preachy way, right? But just for my own ears, for my own ability to hear it. So mm-hmm. the, the combat with the sword is to get the sword out at all <laughs> you know, in, your, in your actual day. And, and you think about this, too, in this way. I mean, I think a lot of Christians sort of live as if spiritual combat's going to only happen a few times in life. They're just going to whip out, you know, their their church attendance and whatever they got maybe from going to Sunday school and have a little fight with the devil. And, you know, whatever they think they know about their sword at that point is like pulling out the weapon when you don't, you're a kid, or you're going to shoot your foot off, you're going to cut your own arm off, you're going to help the enemy, you don't know what you're doing. So the sword of the Spirit certainly is going to do what it says it's going to do, and it's going to save all of the elect, but the lukewarm approach that modern America has taken to training with the sword, that is just eating the scriptures, um, is one which doesn't leave us kind of on the side of of those things this sword says it helps, right? Uh, If anything, it's going to come slice and dice in order to get us to repent. And I I think 2020 has been that for a lot of us. That's why we're we're here having these conversations in some ways. Um, But but then the point of this all being uh, that the church, the body, the group of people who wield this sword will have this sword do good things for them. The group yeah. that wields against this sword that tries to work against it, it's going to look like you're winning for a while, and then you're just going to get you're going to get toasted. And and it won't be because the other group like fights you directly. It's because this word won't stay void. It's going to come back. It's going to you know reemerge and regenerate. Yeah. What do you think? There, there's a lot that there's there's a lot of appearances that I think we as Christian soldiers need to be able to overcome. Um, by thinking of the reality of our situation, understanding that we are, you know, we're behind enemy lines, mm-hmm. and we're behind enemy lines for a reason. You know, we are we are the invading force, so to speak, mm-hmm. and that's going to look different than being thinking that we're just supposed to be, you know, in the in the bunker or in the castle waiting for them to attack us. It's like no, this is very this is very offensive. It's, you know, the church is the forward operating base, so to speak, for the soldiers to go outside the wire. When you're, and so you have your members who are, you know, they're doctors, they're lawyers, they're plumbers, they're whatever, and people will notice, you know, mm-hmm. around them that oh, this person's different. They may not be constantly preaching, but there's something going on here. When I was in the army, one of my, you know, obviously I'm, I, it's it's army. You know, we're not talking about church stuff all the time 
and yet it came to be known, you know, I had conversations where it came to be known I, I was a Christian or I, or I even worked for the church. It didn't matter that I was dealing with the business end of it, not preaching end of it or teaching end of it, but it was, I worked for the church. That was good enough. And mm-hmm. so soldiers would come directly to me with theology questions. Mm-hmm. And, and one of my nicknames was Reverend, so I wore that very carefully. Yeah. Um, but uh, a sim- similar thing in civilian life. I had a guy... Uh, start that I, I had the blessing of being able to reach out to um, and share the faith and help him along and he just started calling me shepherd hmm. uh, again blessing wear it carefully so uh, let me let me say something about the sons of Solomon here real quick which is a prayer discipline that any Christian can can grab on to go to sons of net to hear about that but one of the things behind the way we want sons of Solomon to function as a as an organization is not as an organization but on the principle of the fourth commandment or what we call the the Pendragon principle, which is that, you know, shepherd, reverend, this is the father of a congregating of the body of Christ. It's an instituted office by Jesus, but like all offices in the created order, they're effectively a reflection of the father in some way. And what that means Mm -hmm. is any group, somebody is going to act as the father by being the, the strong voice, the leader. And so if no one's leading, now it's time for you to lead, right? And if somebody from their heritage and their culture uses the word shepherd or reverend or pastor, because for them it means something completely different than the roster of the LCMS, like it's not our job to police their vocabulary, right? Like uh, you don't necessarily turn around and start putting on your business card or something, right? Uh, but, you know, yeah. so just to kind of push on that right there, and, and please keep going. But it's such an important thing to see uh, that um, – uh, the Pendragon principle, the fourth commandment, is what you're having happen. Like you're just out there, and people recognize, oh, this guy's a father in the faith compared to me. So I'm gonna treat him like that. I'm gonna call him whatever that means in my voodoo, you know, background of English mash, you know. Mm-hmm. So and and what you're advocating is that we need more of this, and that's what the Sons of Solomon is all about: is that we need right. more men who are willing to just have the vocabulary of Scripture be part of their life, so that others notice and it won't be because you're like oh i'm planning to really say it right now although maybe you want to discipline yourself like that but again it's because the words of the bible have become your words you're not mm-hmm. like trying to think about when you can talk about the bible it's it's that the bible is something you you want to talk about and mm-hmm. here here's a thing that i think is really important and and hopefully you'll, you'll kind of just chime with it which is that when we see this happening in the church we don't see enough of men, women, children, together, families, but that means men, overcoming the apparent darkness or even trying to. Uh, the tendency is to want to try to make it happen, and I'm convinced that that doesn't work either, and that the real answer is is prayer for the zeal, right? And then that that will engender more zeal, especially when that prayer is applied to the Psalms and so forth. But uh, as you guys study, you know, with kind of, your kind of closing remarks, however you want to go from what I just said there or something else, last thing to say, um, it's been good to have you this morning. What do we need to know that we haven't said yet? Um, I think it's good to reflect on the reality of our situation. Uh, the that we are that we are both soldiers as well as Christ's sheep. We are the sheep, and I guess my my parting shot, so to speak, in terms of giving giving people something to chew on, is actually. I mean, it's not a scriptural quote, but I think it's applicable uh, to the topic. There's a quote that's attributed to uh, Alexander the Great. There's a variation that's attributed to someone uh, in one of his predecessors, but 
you know, uh, he said, I am not afraid of an army of lions led by a sheep. I am afraid of an army of sheep led by a lion. Mm -hmm. And so just Mm -hmm. as we are, yes, we are sheep. We are being led to slaughter. We are Mm -hmm. in it. You know, as cushy as we've had it, there's a good chance we're not going to have it too cushy for long. Um, And so we are God's sheep, but we should not forget who we are led by, the Lion of Judah. That's right. And And more than conquerors, even in the suffering. Yeah. yeah, and that you better believe that has Satan quaking in his boots. You know, um, does God need our help? Nope, but He calls us. When's this anyway. book? When's this book come out, and, and where uh, can people find it? Uh, well, it's it's got a little ways yet, <laughs> so. Um, um, but uh, as as more information comes out on it, as far as when we'll actually be able to get it out, I'll definitely. Uh, let you and your listeners know and uh, where to find it, all that good stuff. Yeah, we'll make sure we get a wreck in Mad Mondays when it definitely gets published. Get it up there so you can have some people see it, get some clicks right away. So, uh, oh, Lieutenant Aaron Shim, also working with Pastor Ben Shim. Ben Shim's over in Wisconsin. What's the name of his congregation, just for the record, so everyone can go go look it up if they need to? Uh, well, he teaches at uh, Racine Lutheran. He's a pastor that, that teaches their theology, and then he also attends uh, Mount Olive. Excellent. So Racine Lutheran, that's the high school? Uh, Racine Lutheran is a high school, yeah. Okay, so Pastor Ben Shims at Racine Lutheran High School. Awesome. So anyone who wants to find out more about this book and you're up in that Wisconsin area, check out Racine Lutheran High School to find Pastor Ben Shim. This is Lieutenant Aaron Shim. You're listening to the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill. We'll be back in just a moment with more of your questions, Bible's answers, and our nonsense. Stick around. He is risen. You are paid for. That makes you immortal, and he will not be long now. You found the Mad Christian Saturday morning chill. Your questions, Bibles, answers, and my are nonsense here in Rockford. Send your questions, though, to refuse.com slash contact. If you want them on the show, you can always leave them in the sidebar as well. We won't necessarily get to those today, but they will be picked up, eventually scooped in and thrown in as much as we are able. While you're at refuse.com, dot com checking out that contact page you might as well go to the newsletter page and subscribe to mad christian mondays the absolute best news source on the interwebs you don't even have to subscribe to all the other ones because it's going to get cataloged from a christian perspective for you with the nuggets and clicks that you need most so you can go read that one article that actually matters while also learning about how they've made pandas into monkeys into uh, unicorns that fly in the stars somewhere else and it's they're on a skateboard watch it's a small video that kind of stuff so Mad Christian Monday, sign up at refis.com slash newsletter for that goodness. All right, so we had a comment in the sidebar uh, during the break there, and I'm going to have Meredith, my wife, who actually wonderfully can talk now, um, is going to read this comment. Pastor Fisk, I want to thank you for turning me on to carnivore. I have lost 192 pounds. 192. That's wild. That's not a typo. No. Not 19.2. I don't think so. 192 pounds just by eating meat and fat, huh? That's all it took? Oh, man. I know it's a debate that I haven't put out here much because I know there's lots of people who are Christians that can debate this and disagree, but I will say that the, you know, 45 pounds I lost in the summer changed my mind about what I eat, and at this point, I more or less only eat steak, hamburger, dairy product of some kind i'll snack on a little thing from here and there i'll go out with a friend and eat or whatever you know if everyone's having a beer i'll have a beer but the sugar's out the fat and the protein's in and i feel i feel good and uh we can talk about your story at some point too here uh, your own journey in nutrition um that's kind of a 
I don't know. It's so tender because it can really be divisive for people, right? It can. And yeah. everybody's story is so unique. Yeah, right, right. So where you came from, what you learned. But, I mean, that ain't no joke. 192 pounds, this is a long way. And uh, hopefully you're feeling good. You're watching some of those other chronic things that you didn't know why they were there that are actually related to your endocrine system, which is very much related to your gut health, right? And your brain is kind of connected to all this stuff, too, and your brain's made of fat and all these pieces. God willing, that's all going along with the loss of weight, and you're finding some some wellness. I don't know. I hate to use that word, but... He added a little bit more. He said he was... 511 pounds. Dear heavens. God and bless now you. he is 319. On the way. God be praised. On the way. God be praised indeed. Uh, so if you haven't heard about carnivore, where's the best place to send someone right now in your mind? I mean, mm-hmm. there really isn't still a good single voice. Think, well, um, Sean, Sean Baker. Baker has a book. Okay, yeah. So you can read a lot of the findings that he has rather than look at podcasts. Right, right, right. Through all that. It's in print in front right. of you. So I would say Sean Baker's book. Yeah, yeah. So Sean Baker's book, this is called Carnivore Diet, right? It's called Carnivore yeah, Diet. Yeah, yeah. But I'm sure um, if you looked up Sean Baker on Amazon, it would come up. Yeah, for sure. Uh, oh, that's what I was thinking about. I, was, I, I had thought about something else while you were talking, which is that another way to summarize the carnivore diet, if you want it quick, is it's just cheap keto. Well, cheap, easy keto. Uh, keto is a fat-adapted diet. You're burning fat instead of sugar. They discovered ketogenics or the, the theory of keto diets while researching uh, ways to help children with uh, seizures. And they discovered, again, that a lack of fat in the diet might, in fact, contribute to a lot of brain issues. And, and by adding or going to a pure fat diet and removing the sugar, some, not all, but some seizures, good percentages of them, actually, uh, children with seizures were able to be stopped. And then from there, the information kind of spread out that this fat adaptation is a way the human body can operate in the wild. You can operate with sugar adaptation or fat adaptation. Sugar adaptation is like running on some of nitrous gasoline supercharged jet fuel. And fat adaptation is a little more like running on diesel, right? And so the keto diet, and you'll see this at Costco, they'll say keto this, keto that, although it's still got chemicals galore all over it. Um, but the idea there is, again, fat ad- adaptation. To do that, while also living your American lifestyle and getting a little piece of that tasty pizza and stuff, so forth, um, made out of, you know, what, what uh, gluten-free uh, and all this, um, to do that, keto, is a lot of work. You're measuring your food. You're, you're having to weigh and read everything. What carnivore does is it makes it really easy. You just eat the meat and the fat that come off the animal, and you're pretty good. Usually, so that's that's the idea, and it sounds crazy. It's like going, it's like saying the Earth is flat. It's like saying we didn't go to the moon. Both of which things I've asked Dr. Coons on our show, A Brief History of Power, with two white guys. You should check that out if you want to deal with worldly issues, context, and how we Christians respond to that. You can find that anywhere podcasts are. Again, A Brief History of Power with two white guys, myself and Dr. Coons from Concordia Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Thank you for writing in about uh, that. That what do you call that? Blessing? Bless- yeah, yeah, personal. blessing. Yeah, overcoming. What a gift. What a gift. Yep, many issues are gone. Ah, so wonderful. That is wonderful. That is wonderful. We have a question that is not going to be many issues being gone. This is going to be many issues being brought up (laughs) Uh, from Froilein. Froilein. And I believe this connects to a a conversation that's been had recently in our Mad Christian Discord, which is called Us the Chill. 
Discord is an app that lets you like go around the back end of Facebook and say, we don't like you, Facebook. We'll do it on Discord instead and live your Facebook life in a place where you have control over what you see. It's pretty awesome. And the Mad Christian Discord is there to help you find a community of like-minded Christians who are fighting this battle against the zeitgeist. Conversations happen there all the time, and I believe this one is connected to one of those. But you can find and join that conversation by getting the Discord app on anything you use with a screen, right? Except maybe a smart TV. I don't know. Uh, and, and then um, looking for us, the chill, us, the chill. That's the that's the server in Discord you want to be looking for. You can also send information always through refuse.com slash contact. And we got peoples. We got peoples who help. They're awesome. Okay. Fraulein says this. Oh, my goodness. She says, should women be allowed to play in competitive sports? <gasps> Is it sinful for a woman to partake in sports that have been deemed masculine? For example, hockey, football, rugby, basketball, etc. Signed for a line. Okay. Now, I've thought quite a bit about this question, um, not only since it was asked, but um, uh, previous to this. And I think there's one major assumption that is just completely missing in, in the question itself. And that's the assumption that competitive sports are okay. Right? Like, it's okay to play in competitive sports, for sure. Right? And I'm just going to call that an assumption. I'm not going to say it's wrong, right? Just, just follow me here. It's an assumption. And now what we have is a really big debate about an assumption that we haven't tested. So if you ask, what are competitive sports? Where'd they come from? What good are they to the Christian life? Not as one who grew up, say, in America thinking America's normal, but as one who, say, thinks the Bible story is normalizing, you might find that competitive sports are the closest thing to religion that we have outside of restaurants, give or take. You know, where people go with their bodies to rise and stand and bow in a liturgy of glory, huh? Uh, wherein we actually uh, have a spirit that is so great that it's not only uh, driven us to not fight each other, our wars are fought by the gladiators upon the field. Again, this is very overtone uh, Colosseum religious stuff, right? Uh, The only difference is we don't believe the gods are gods. We just call them by their names. (laughs) And we think they're not there. We're we're unaware. We're zombified with regard to the unseen powers. But, But the fact is that competitive sports... The way that most people use them are idols. Does that mean that it's wrong and you're a Christian? Quit now. No, that's not what I'm saying. So slow down. We're testing an assumption. Okay? Slow down. Not everything is black or white, yes or no, today, tomorrow. Do it. Go. Stop. Right? Some things are wisdom. Some things are nuance. Some things are where we are right now. Okay? So the second most important thing in this question. The first most important thing is, are competitive sports even a good idea right now? That's, that's the second thing. This question is different right now than it was probably in 1974. It just probably is a different question. It's a different question than it was probably in 2001 or 2008. Because 2020 has changed our soul, our corporate Christian bodily awareness of the jeopardy of passing it to the next generation actually being there. Like it might not happen. So now it's not like, well, what's okay? I assume it's okay. Now it's, am I talking about it on the road? Am I talking about it when I get up and I go to bed? Am I talking about it when I sit down to eat? As you ride about to all of these events, is it screens or Bible on the way? And I mean, that'll tell you really physically what's going on, right? Does that mean that all competitive sport is wrong? Like, if my kids want to compete in the yard, is that wrong? It's, it is the professionalization of it as a priestly caste 
to which we want to devote our children from infancy that makes it dangerous, right? And it doesn't matter what I was just talking about. It doesn't matter if that was sports or medical practice. And hey, look, both. So where are we? What's, what, who is our God? What are our gods? What are our agendas here in this time? Where are you now? Where were you in 2020? And where are you wanting to go? Because again, if you happen to be a National Basketball Association player right now and a Christian, should you quit? No, that's not, that is not what I would be saying at all. However, if you are a Christian with a father who's seven years old and he shows some ac- he's showing acumen for, for physical ability, I mean, is it time to put him in the club program and run the next 25 years of hopefully he makes it to the NBA and then maybe we get out of this poverty and we get to live the rich life? Uh, you know, one more casino version? I mean, that might not be wise. That might not be wise. That, that might ruin his life and yours without you both knowing it. And while you think you like it the whole way until the family's fractured because you never really got together at all for real and then never talked about the word of God, right? So like those questions are so much more important than can girls play sports? Now, I got another one to throw in here with you before we even try to answer the question, right? I got, I got several of these. What about the idea that right now girls sports isn't even girls sports? You guys are arguing about this when you, you go ahead, play girls sports and there's going to be boys plan. And at a certain point, the boys are always going to win because the trans movement has made sure that that's what's going to happen now and you can't stop it. So why are we arguing about this again? Like what's, what's the game plan here to get in and beat the boys at girls sports? What's the agenda there? And there's another thing that both male and female competitive sports never tell the 12 year old, which is that your body is probably not going to work in your forties or fifties because of all the stuff you do trying to go to college on this stuff. That is more than an average human can do and is effectively military training of a sort. Look at military trained soldiers who do not maintain their training. See what happens to their bodies, how, go, how good it is, right? So, so what, what's your game plan here with this thing you call sport? Now, I'm the most competitive person in the world. I played varsity basketball. I played college basketball. I wanted to play. I still love these things. I love athletics. The question is not, was that sinful then when I did it, Right. This isn't about, oh, do I need to repent right now of the fact that I like the bears, okay? That's, that's not the point, huh? The point is that this is neither here nor there, by and large, as a theory. Like, there's no theory here, okay? There's no grand ideas of what should and should not be with regard to national public sports, right? Like, we're not here to figure that one out. We maybe want to figure out what's going on, like, in our neighborhood soccer association, if we're just going to have our kids run around together in the pile and chase the ball, yeah, but all those parents that want their kids to be pros, you know, when they're five, you know, that kind of is going to get in the way of you raising your kid to understand the value of a morning just playing without necessarily having to win, but enjoying a win when you get it, right? So again, it's, what's your agenda? What are you trying to do with your daughter or son in this? Okay, now, if you want to talk about sports again and being a professional sports player, just remember the vaccine world future in which you travel or not travel that may or may not be coming. That might just have something to do with whether or not you make a team here and there, something to consider as you encourage your children. And then, um, yeah, th- but really the question is not can, can girls play boys sports? Well, play sports. Uh, the, the question is what does the next generation of Christians need? And is it more sports? Is that what they need is sports? And I'm just, you know, I think here's what Paul says is that the gymnasium is of some value, right? But the discipline of the spirit is of heavenly value and earthly value. So, I mean, where I'm at right now, I'll just tell you, for my family, as I wrestle with this, we got to homeschool. Now, my kids play in the yard constantly. They've been playing baseball recently with like a broom handle and a tennis ball. They think they're like, they're kicking the world's butt. I mean, they think it's the most amazing thing in the world. But the the goal here, you know, COVID life 
allowing is to find ourselves a dojo where we can get physical activity together that also works on, uh, you know, uh, binding us together with a culture of some kind, that there's some reverence and knowledge with regard to paying attention to the body and using the body wisely, uh, those kinds of things. So to me, that's more important. Um, so that, and then bringing it back to then, so why are we arguing about whether girls can play this or that? And it's because, well, our kids are in school and then this is happening. Okay, your kids are in school. Have you listened to the six episodes on that from Dr. Koontz and myself on A Brief History of Power? So that means they're in a foreign land. They're in a foreign land. The problem is not if you're in a foreign land. The problem is if you think the foreign land is normal and begin to demand it or give up your natural truth, right? Your supernatural, in this case, Christian truth, in order to hold on to that foreign truth, which is, you know, idolatry usually at that point. So, um, you know, is it a good idea to have, like, high school boys and high school girls playing touch sports together? I'd say it's probably not the best idea in a Me Too culture, you know? It's just even without a Me Too culture. Maybe that, you know, yeah, on both sides of the coin, everyone realizes what can happen there. So, um, uh, and then, you know, at this point, it's just such a circus out there anyway. You know, your, your kid, your daughter that you're going to encourage, you know, without sin to be just the most natural this or that in the world because she loves it and she's done it since she was two is going to get beat out by some guy who has long hair, you know. So, like, I mean, what, what, what are you trying to do in this life? Are you waiting for Jesus? How? Why? Are you assuming you're going to be a Christian when he gets back? Because that's the one thing you don't do, right? Are you planning to be a Christian when he gets back? You do that by making really wise decisions, which includes me not giving you a single answer to this question, right? Because wisdom is often about context. Of course, women are athletic and should be encouraged to be healthy and whatever that means. And of course, women are attractive and should be encouraged not to flaunt that in front of the men around. Huh? And of course, you also want the young men and the young women to see each other, have conversations and fall in love. And so, well, what's the way to do that? To me, it just sounds like a way more important question to argue about than whether or not we can fix, you know, the, the sports culture of the elites, if you hear what I'm saying. Yeah, I think you do. All right. Um, can I get just a one minute here for some water? Thank you. Saturday morning chill. We're probably just right around that 10 o'clock hour, correct, honey? Yeah. You can talk in the mic so they can hear you. Yes. See? Yeah, yeah, that helps, that helps. Five minutes after 10, we're halfway through the show, or then some, got a bunch of your questions, Bible's answers, my nonsense coming up. By the way, if you want to support all this, the way to do that is on Patreon. You can find me at patreon.com slash revfisk. The people who go there to give me a buck 25 a show, or sometimes 30 is whatever you want to do, are the ones that make it possible to buy things like this microphone and the computer and all this stuff, while also keeping my family economy spinning around here in Rockford at the hope the hope of enticing those of you who really want a Christian community or you know you're going to get word and sacrament for many, many years to come or you know you have an opportunity to build a family and set down roots and, and really uh, see what, well, you got to visit Rockford to have me tell you it. You know, see what can come when we put our hearts and minds together underneath the word and sacraments of Jesus. Uh, questions from you. This one's coming from C. C? C. It's B. That's C1. Here we go. This one's from C. That was C. We're on B from C. Right. Got it. It starts, my LCMS church had and is still having church outside as an option during the pandemic. Uh, the scare. The scare. We use the prepackaged wine wafer combo. We pick it up before we sit down and when we get to communion portion of the service, the pastor pronounces the words of institution and signals when we collectively take bread, wine, body, and blood of Christ. So historically... Um, kind of Baptist, Methodist, normal, okay? So interesting, right? Uh, these were purchased for us during the scare. Um, we also 
are back to indoor services and are transitioning to our previous communion serving methods there, individual cup, wine, cup, and wafer. So going back to normal, yeah. Do you see a problem with this? Going back to normal? No, that's very, very good. What was done during the pandemic? Uh, it's not what I would have done, but uh, let me talk more about how, look, you're in a corner and what happens there needs to be good enough if it's good enough. And, and that's the important thing, right? How did you feel about this? Were you fed by this care from your Christian community, right? And speaking with your pastor about that is probably the most important thing, right? From there, it's like, okay, are there better, are there worse practices? But like, because of the complexity of things like all the people that you're working with on your board of elders and your council and, and who they're talking to in the neighborhoods and whatnot— the way people uh, dealt with the shutdown was so manifoldly, you know, spectral. It was just, uh, just all the way across the board. It's I'm not going to come in and tell anybody they were wrong. Yeah. Now I, I can tell you, I don't think it's wise if you stopped having communion. I think that was the least wise thing you can do was to stop having, stop meeting together in any way. It sounds like you, you you didn't really, or you tried not to. So so I'm like kudos. You're still doing the Lord's Supper. That's great. You're using a practice historically not Lutheran for delivery, including all taking at the same time. Very, very do this in remembrance of me, not actually Jesus historically. But like, if you all believe it's Jesus, you doing it the way people who don't think it that way doesn't like magically make it all go away or something, <laughs> right? This is, this is the thing I've been beefing on left and right about how just because somebody misuses it doesn't mean we can't use it rightly. At the same time, would I have gone this route? Pro- probably not. But let's let's see the the more harsh critique, and then um, I'll kind of come back at it again here. So you saw a video in which Pastor Wolfmuller and Flammy were commenting upon how terrible the use of these prepackaged elements were, and if I mean, actually, like in a vacuum, yeah, totally with them on that one. I gathered it had something to do with the blessing of the elements. Is it the case of a slippery slope? It's a case of unawareness of what we're signaling. That's that's it. It's it's sort of the we really. Uh, as LCMS, we kind of have this idea that we're going to try to send a single message together. It's more or less that Jesus has risen and we're forgiven. But then, like, there's a couple of other things that we think are pretty important. Six of them, really. We call it the catechism. And we keep not being able to, like, shout that together for some reason. And so, I don't know. Our manner of dealing with it at this point is, is uh, to argue. <laughs> um, and and without, without conclusion, that has to do with our political structure and what happened to us in the 70s over the battle for the Bible and a bunch of things like that. So, um, the, the trick is, again, that we're trying to seek for a unity that we can all shout together about things like how central the Lord's Supper is. And when someone goes and institutes a completely foreign practice of the Lord's Supper that's purchased wholesale from sacramentarians, from those who don't believe it's the Lord's Supper, again, what's the message? Like, how much did you study that one, right? Um, and, and that's kind of a really fair critique. At the same time, what I said before stands. Like, we're in such corners right now. Like, dude, if you kept them taking the Lord's Supper and this was your game to do it, like, God bless you for, for that fight, right? So I think we have to all recognize how, how, uh, how segregated we've become uh, across the nation, how different things are in different places, and then have a little bit of grace with each other as we all deal with very, very different levels of zeitgeist pressure, right? So uh, she continues, I, I gathered it had something to do with the blessing of the elements. Is it a case of slippery soap? I read that part. Uh, in these unusual times, I don't see a huge issue with it. Let me know your thoughts. Um, it depends on where you are again. Would I see a huge issue with it if I let it happen at my church? Yeah, I'd be like mad at myself. 
<laughs> I'd be like, oh man, I could have done better than that, right? But am I going to go like seek this out? Like I've, I've gotten this. Do I really even want to call this out? No, not really. I mean, is it ideal? No. Is it something that we could talk about at Circuit and realize is a bad idea? Yeah. But right now, again, there is so much pure abdication of Christianity going on left and right all around us that if they're meeting again to have the Lord's Supper as Lutherans and not stopping, like this is this is bonus. This is that church might still be there in five years, right? As opposed to those churches that are that haven't opened or are just opening up now again, what they're you know, trajectory for the next 10 years about like how necessary they are as part of people's lives. That's a real problem. Now, now again, why, why do I not like the little packages? Look, the entire thing start to finish is like sterilized. It like removes you from the body. It's like, nope, we're not going to be together. We're going to be together apart. We're going to be apart together. It doesn't, Christ had a cup. So I, I'm pretty sure we're supposed to use the cup. I know we got the other kind. I, I let people who want to have them at my church have them. But for my part, it's like the cup is what he said to use. Like, why aren't we using the cup? It's the healthiest thing to use anyway. The gold plate, the wine, it kills, kills, kills bacteria, it kills germs, all this kind of stuff. So you got that. But then now you're going to do that with the bread in this little kind of throwaway thing. You're going to talk about sustainability in the green earth, right? Okay, here we go. Let's throw away some plastic every week while we have grape juice. Was it actually wine? A lot of these things don't actually have wine in them. That would be a problem for me. Big time, right? So there's all sorts of things that as a pastor, I would have been like, okay, here, here, elders, let's not do it for these reasons. However, again, if I was in his shoes and it was like, this is the final thing, I'm fighting just to keep this part. Well, then God bless him for that fight. And that's where we need a little grace with the people far away. Huh? And that's where having a united, a united confession, we actually confess. Well, that, that goes a long way too. So uh, hopefully that helps there. Um, try not to adopt things wholesale from those who don't believe what you believe, right? So they're like, oh, it has nothing to do with what we do. It's just what we believe. What we do is just what we do. And you take what they do and you find, oh, it's, that's actually what they believe too. And then it's what you believe. Yeah? As you pray, so you will believe. That's, that's uh, some old school early church knowledge right there. All right. See? You ready to go? This one's from Helga, the inquisitive homemaker. She says, Steen Brevfisk, I was raised and catechized in the LCMS and despite that, spent almost 20 years as a practicing witch. This is fascinating. Fascinating. Thanks to solid pastors, I fought my way through the dominant, lukewarm, pop Christianity culture which floods our LCMS churches and found Christ in the scriptures and confessions. Amen, sister, and alleluia. God be praised for the liberation from torment, which does indeed come specifically from the words of the Psalter. And my, oh my, if you aren't reading the red letters of Jesus, you're missing out on the grace, the grace. Oh my goodness. So, okay. Um, I'm going to come back and talk more, but, but continuing with your letter here. So most people that I encounter think that witches are something trivial out of fairy tales. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop right there because I, I want a tangent here. I'm going to come back to your topic, but just this morning, completely tangentially, you know, without, without uh, having heard from you yet, um, I realized something about Harry Potter. Um, yeah, my wife laughs. <laughs> I, we've liked Harry Potter. We've enjoyed Harry Potter. We have Harry Potter. Our kids read Harry Potter, right? Um, I realize that my biggest beef with Harry Potter isn't even the relativistic morality that Harry and his friends show and they constantly break the rules and somehow get rewarded with success every time. Like that, to me, that's always been my big problem. It's not like, oh, look at the little witches doing the little magic silly spells. And I'm still not on that. Here, here's what I'm on. It's that Harry Potter's a witch. He's not a warlock slipped right under our noses 20 years ago it's transgenderism you know there is no male female he's a wizard 
Ah, he goes to a school of witchcraft and wizardry, but they call him a witch very, very specifically. Early in the book, he's a witch. Yeah. He rides a broom. There's a reason he rides a broom. He's a witch. So right there, you have the, the gender problem being scuttled into to that. But as you, as you say, like, what is the line between light and darkness? And, and I'm on the record as advocating like Tolkien and Narnia, right? If we're going to love these stories, then we have to recognize there's a place for apocalypse. There's a place for symbolic storytelling. And it's not that of itself that's wrong. However, who's your storyteller? You know, who's your, who's your prophet? Who's your harbinger that's telling you this, this great dream that they have? And why would you assume anybody who's not a Christian is going to give you a good one? That's, that's really, really kind of the spirituality of the entire thing. And, and I know that sounds like old school, right? That's, that's hardcore. I get it. I get it. So uh, let's come back to some of your reality here, right? So uh, from fairy tales to demons are real. Absolutely. The Bible does not lie. Truth. Uh, magic spell with a K, right? Meaning like that's what the Wiccans like to do. Um, magic to a point is efficacious or no one would stay in the various denominations of witchcraft. Right. So without question, the biblical teaching is that hexes, curses, charms indeed may work by the power of demonic forces. These are signs and wonders to deceive even the elect. If that were possible, we've been forewarned about these things. And if you check signs and wonders as a new Testament phenomena, post apostles, meaning the writings about what will come with signs and wonders. It is new Testament universally a show of the false teacher. So you can know the false teacher comes with signs and wonders. Like that's what he does. <laughs> you know, he comes with signs and wonders to deceive you. Right. And so, yeah, absolutely. It's efficacious to an extent and with a strange proximate dynamic over and against the reality of Christianity, the real body and blood of Christ, the, the reality of the spirit breathing through the Psalms, Proverbs, scriptures all the way, right? So, but absolutely. Okay. So divination, however, is the gateway drug of the occult. Divination meaning like mediumism, right? Uh, the so-called harmless dabbling in paganism that parades through the aether as your morning horoscope, Enneagram number, Myers-Briggs. Oh, I've never heard it connected to Myers-Briggs before. That's interesting. Um, that being said, I guard my gates vigilantly, especially musically. So yeah, so guarding the gate is going to be what, you know, I think the main thing we take out of this, this letter is, uh, if you want to fight the demons, then you need to not have dark eyes. <laughs> you have to be able to see with the light and, and the light is then uh, your eye is then the gate of your body, right? Jesus says the, the, uh, the light, eye is the lamp and that if your lamp shines to darkness, it's going to be a great darkness. Well, what's the light your eye is supposed to shine with? Well, the word of Jesus, you know, the scriptures. So have your eyes looking upon the scriptures and then what comes out of you will, will be light. Yeah. Guarding your gate. All right. So, uh, you're talking about now music and we've been talking about music recently on the show in terms of being able to grab whatever music serves your authentic and orthodox faith, right? So in private, you should not feel you're limited to only uh, wordless music, only secular music, or only Christian music. You want to listen to those things which feed your faith, recognizing again that even listening to music is one of these assumptions of the modern age. Super assumption of the modern age. Singing music, eh, different thing, more universal and ancient, right? So that's something to maybe think about here as well. Uh, going forward, though, you know, guarding that music as a gate, absolutely. When I dove into Scripture and the Confessions, I had to stop listening to most of the Christian walk, rock that I had used to help me wean myself off paganism. The theology was too dodgy and vague. Well, I'm going to completely agree with you that even the stuff I like right now, the few, the, the handful, right, um, I like it because it's dodgy and vague. I bet you if they said more, I wouldn't be able to listen to it <laughs> because they probably are wrong, right? So the, the issue here again becomes what are you hearing? This is, this is so important. The issue is what are you hearing when you listen? Are you hearing the message of the scriptures? 
right? And, and how do I do that? One way I do that is I listen to epic rock music with no words. I listen with a, a transparency setting on the headphones, and then I read the Psalter out loud over it, right? That is amazing. You should really try that at home. It's pretty cool, right? And, and then in that, though, I mean, that's not dodgy. Um, but from that, you know, when I go to a, a song that's by someone like, say, Zach Williams, who's a Baptist, he's a Baptist Baptist, and I don't listen to the songs that really make me tremble with frustration, but a couple of them, you let them go, and in, the fact that it's vague just means my Lutheran theology and my psalmic theology gets to fill into it, right? So trying to decide which tactic everyone has to quit, wrong, right? Trying to decide what principle everyone wants to stand on, right, okay? That, that's, that's so key. All right, so um, much of uh, it you were exposed to as a pagan and had no issues with, and that's your point too. So like if you're not being fed by pure streams, then pure streams that are shallow are not going to keep out the filth when that's coming from a larger stream. You know, and I would imagine that the gate running into your face from your screen of the world these days, it's a big wide screen, yeah, full of all sorts of stuff. And so, yeah, to, to fight back with the little trickle from, from Sunday morning, a little tough. So, Toby Max, I don't want, uh, I want to lose my soul. Uh, gain the whole world and lose my soul. I nailed you to the wall, meaning I think you say it was good, which means I have to look it up. I have discovered I kind of like Toby Mac. Um, he seems to actually believe in Christianity, which is really nice. Uh, but where the newsboy spirit thing was a pretty good piece for empowerment rituals back in the day, I meaning you use that as a pagan for pagan things. So one of the most fascinating things I've learned about the cult in the last couple of months is how Christians can remain in the occult without knowing it by means of their ignorance, right? So because occult practices are body practices, not just mind practices, just because you figure something out in your mind doesn't mean you stop doing the thing that's connected to the occultic practice that you might have inherited from your family, right? And, and you've got to just kind of, well, repent of that directly. How would you know? Well, this is what you're talking about, right? And the problem is then vague music or hyper-spiritual juju-ish versions of Christian music don't do you any good and may, you're saying, empower the wrong spirit. And certainly... Music can empower the wrong spirit. That, that's what music does, is it empowers spirits, it lifts the spirit, but which spirit is being lifted up? And, you know, the history of the Newsboys, um, from my understanding, I, mean, I haven't looked for a while at what it is, but it didn't go so well, right? That trajectory they were on. Um, it didn't really last in terms of the gold you're looking for to build your life on. So that, that's something to think about. So to turn your question on its ear, would it be better to have a moral, secular song or a vacuous Christian rock song, Keep Up the Good Fight, Helga the Inquisitive Homemaker? Again, it depends on who you are and what's your context. So um, today, at what time of day is it you're going to listen to this song? Um, and you've asked two things that, I mean, I don't think either one of those is better. A vacuous Christian rock song is fine for an Orthodox Christian to listen to. It's not fine for a heterodox witchcraft practicing Christian to listen to, right? Because that's just it. What are you feeding your main base with? And if you aren't having the pure font of the scriptures, starting with the prayer life of the Psalter, it's not about memorizing who Hezekiah was. It's about praying how Hezekiah prayed, right? Starting with that, that, that prayer life of the Psalter and the belief that it's good to speak that out loud to other people, finding the best quotes of Jesus you can find and just speaking them out loud whenever they're appropriate to the world that is the way that the spirit repents of its sorcery, its attempt to manipulate the world around to bring about some sort of better end than God would give you by trusting in his word, right? So uh, a vacuous Christian rock song, if it's actually Christian, 
I don't have a problem with a heterodox, like it's actually bad and wrong and they say horrible things, like they're, they're lying about, you know, we praise Jesus who is uh, made, right? <laughs> right? Well, then this is, I would, I would turn that off the same way I turn off some nonsense from, uh, from the internet in the secular sense. Uh, you know, and secular music, it's, it's here or there, right? It, it, it comes and goes. You gotta, you gotta guard your gate. You gotta guard your gate. And that's, that's the main thing I want to leave you with there. Let's see here. What do you believe when you are hearing? Who is the one really telling your story? Um, repent. Repent. And believe in generational adaptation. That just because you're doing it today and it's okay doesn't mean it's okay in the future. Because sometimes they change the rules out there and they twist the whole thing on its head. And next thing you know, you're, you're worshiping Baal. You didn't even realize it. He's wily like that. Uh, what do we got? Ready to go on? Ready to go on. Thank you, Helga. Moving on to Kay, who says this. Hello, Pastor. Hello. I've been wrestling with this question for quite some time. It's hard to find any pastor who wants to delve into this. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, but because you seem to be a thinker, I thought I would ask and see if you can expound on this. I know how I feel about it, but here it goes. All right. Were Luther and the princes wrong in taking a stand when they did? It seems when I talk with my fellow Lutherans, not all, but many more than I would have thought, they want to go with whatever the government tells them, i.e. masks, jabs, meaning vaccines, right? Uh, They don't want to think beyond what the TV tells them to think and do. I have been advocating wearing, I'm just going to highlight that point there. Are you telling me that we have a TV worshiping cult? Are are you telling me that? Do you think that maybe is happening? Sounds like it. A screen worshiping cult? Like where people just like, they do what it says? It would seem. Oh. I just hadn't noticed. I don't watch, you know. So I just sit like over here and read stuff. But so that's scary though. That could that could be bad. Imagine if the TV worshiping cult were all to be told things over time that made them like destroy themselves. That'd be that'd be like what demons would do if they existed. But they don't exist. Don't worry about it. And they certainly aren't using these airwaves. Why would they do that? You know. Um, you know. Oh goodness gracious! Forgive the sarcasm. Scary just to think about. Uh, uh, most people sleepwalkers uh, don't want to think beyond what the TV tells them to think and do. Sleepwalkers are sleepwalking. Yeah, they're asleep at the wheel. Uh, I have been advocating wearing drunkenness. Would be another way to say it. It's, but they're not drunk on alcohol. Uh, they're drunk on the world. Uh, I've been advocating wearing the armor of God and standing against just doing what the TV tells people to do on an emotional level, fear level. Yeah, and that fear dominating, that fear that's not been driven out by the perfect love of Christ, that tells you, you know, when you're running away, it means you're not standing, right? Uh, so, uh, standing against is doing, uh, I am told I must obey the leaders. <laughs> Fascism, that's the definition. I start to think that these Lutherans would have considered Luther and the princes who stood strong in the armor of God heretics. They went against their leaders and authorities. The, the biggest issue here is Jesus. The biggest issue, not Luther, Jesus. Jesus, like, didn't take no for an answer from people for any reason, even because of their authority. I mean, even when the high priest is on him, he's kind of like, you know, you didn't have a right to do that. What are you talking? I mean, so it's not just that, that Luther wouldn't be welcome. We need to acknowledge Jesus would not be welcome in our churches. Just anybody, read what he says. Go try to say it. You will, you'll find it hard because again, um, well, the mouth of Sauron, as you call it, has, has changed things. You got the second picture for this one? Yeah. So are we fighting, uh, K, K goes on, are we fighting powers and principalities or do we just do whatever the mouth of Sauron TV tells us to do? Well, I think, you know, you know the answer here, but th- the point in the contrast is important that when we are listening to what the world tells us, whether it's on a screen or not, then we are not fighting powers and principalities. We are submitting to them. We are laying down our arms. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that the screen just makes it easier to do without knowing you did it. The war didn't change. 
They just came at you from the side. You think everything enters your head through the top, through how you think. TV enters through the back, through how you feel. And so over time, they convince you to trust it. You get addicted to it. And then finally, they shift the meaning of words just enough to one day it's all upside down. You're like, yeah, it's upside down. I like it this way. Yeah, it's the way it's always been. Yeah. And, and that's the danger of this thing. That's how it works as a tool. Uh, so... All right, so Jesus would not be welcome because he would say things far more acerbic than, than Luther uh, would have said. Uh, so continuing on, uh, this goes to another point you say, I hear and read Lutheran pastors exclaiming, why do they not know about it? So, so yeah, so, sorry, I'm laughing because it's just such a sad thing. You hear Lutherans exclaiming, why do they not know about us? You say, maybe because we don't stand against evil things in this day. It seems we just go to whatever the emotional world is telling us. So Lutherans have best have the best historical line to connect all Christians through time. Yet no one knows it because we would we want to be nice and go with the flow of the world. Anyone can be nice, but not all can be truthful. Praise God. Okay. Yeah, a bunch of different things there, um, but tied to this uh, bravery versus cowardice. And I think if, if there's a cowardice that's there uh, in American Christian churches, I think Lutherans are just like everybody else right now. We're not special at all. We like to, even in our failing, we're like, we're special. We fail specially bad, right? I mean, we're just like everybody else. We're so arrogant about it. So, so the cowardice that everybody is facing in their pastorate and in their, the majority of their congregations, right? It's not all. There's 7,000 of them about the kneel, but the, in every denomination, you're having these fights go on. Of course, the liberal ones, that doesn't count. They're not even Christian denominations at a certain point. But um, the cowardice is from greed. It's from greed. It's because we like what we have and we think it might get taken away. And so instead of just saying, all right, so let's just be honest. Let's be truthful. Here we go. Let's, let's die in the fire. Instead, we're like, oh, how do we avoid the fire? And we start trying to pile up ways to avoid um, losing what we have. And then if that happens long enough, that greed turns into avarice. That is, those who have gotten comfortable in their cowardice will not be cowards when they see someone who's brave. They'll suddenly want to attack that person. And the, and, and the LCMS is fantastic at this. If anybody gets out of front, we just take that guy out. We, we really do. You know, and, and I've experienced it. I'm not alone. You know, if you get out in front, man, they take you down. So, um, and it's, it's out of wanting to preserve the herd in safety. Okay, so, so you're picking up on that. Well, let me suggest that that comfort that we like is sort of the comfort we like when we sit back and just let the world tell us how to think for three to five hours in the evening and throughout the day as well, everywhere we go, right? Uh, that comfort that we're seeking, that's the problem. This is why the Sons of Solomon prayers, when they're like, you know, our soul has been afflicted by, um, by those who are at ease, you know, the scorn of the proud. There is a problem when you start thinking this life is easy. This life's not easy. It's fragile as anything. Even when it's going well, it's fragile as anything. And so that belief that life is easy, that's what has assaulted us right now through the screen that sells it to us and indeed makes life seem easy, even though it's collapsing around you. It's all built of what? Gingerbread plastic and uh, failing goods from China. Can we even get them these days? All the goods aren't coming over, it seems. I tried to buy a mic thing yesterday. And I couldn't even find one. Was, I mean, I, granted, it's a small city, but geez. Um, and so, so uh, it said so many interesting things. Um, oh, oh, the obedience thing. Okay, okay, this is important. Um, so I'm looking at a different, oh, here we go. I got the wrong card, that's why. Luther and the princes that you're talking about, when they, when they disobey the authorities, it wasn't like they were trying to disobey the authorities. They, they were kind of forced to it. 
and so I just don't know that I can see uh, like a real clear one-to-one comparison here. The place to go is not Luther. The, the place to go is Romans 13. The place to go is when Jesus is asked, you know, do we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And he asks him, you know, has anybody got a denarius? He's standing in the temple or near the temple, right? Anybody got a denarius? Someone flips him a denarius. Now, you got to know what's on a denarius. Uh, denarius is going to have Caesar's image on it, the face of Caesar. And, you know, no one really thinks much of that. It's not, had, you know, faces on all the money, right? And so, you know, whether I, I actually, I imagine Jesus did not catch it. I imagine that they just held it up. And he said, whose image is on it? And you know, someone's holding this up. And it's Caesar's. Okay. So you're in the temple with someone holding an image of Caesar up, like a graven image on a piece of gold, right? Like, like okay, so who does that belong to? Like, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. That does not mean you obey Caesar, whatever he says. Jesus is calling out idolatry in the temple at that moment. He's just pointing out that they're trying to trick him and they're actually already profane, right? So does he say don't pay taxes? No. In fact, the Bible is pretty clear. You pay taxes to keep the government off your back. That's what you do it. You pay taxes to whom you owe taxes. You pay revenue to who you owe revenue because that's what a good person does. You fit into the system. Broken as it might be, it's built of authority structures and those over you who have set in place those taxes um, are there to protect you. Now, the real question for our times, I think, is a little more along the lines of at what point are they... Is the thing you're paying taxes with not even a thing anymore? That's what I think people are afraid of. You know, I just got the Altager Confidential again this week, and I kind of skim it every time it comes. It's inflation, deflation, what's going to happen? The dollar up, down, who knows what? It'll be just like Weimar. It'll be just like Argentina. Blah, 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 blah. Yes, I mean, it's all possible, I suppose. It's all possible. Um, but that, that dollar then, notice the face on that, you can't disconnect images on money from religious thinking. You can't serve both God and and mammon. I mean, he's pretty clear about that one as well. So when it comes to it, then the fact that we're supposed to pay taxes when the tax man comes, because that's what you do in a civil society. Uh, That's what you do when the family needs your help, when the village needs your help, you bind together and you get through it together, right? Um, So that's not a problem. And yes, this authority structures that God has built into the world of always having a father of a group, a voice that leads, that's all good too. But just because the voice that leads is leading and says something doesn't mean you do it without thinking, our military has got clear policy on this, right? You're conscience bound to disobey an evil order. You have to do it. It's not even an option for you, right? You're going to have to go through a court martial and defend yourself, but that's nonetheless, that's there on purpose because it's recognized that pure rank blind obedience is fascism. Like literally, that's the definition of it. And if you haven't figured out, we live in a fascist communist country that's running everything through screen manipulation, mind control garbage. Well, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, right? Uh, So um, our church is going to be most effective. Your church, where you are, is going to be most effective when it's filled with talking Christians. When the Christians who are there talk, when they talk at home, when they talk at church, they need to talk about Christianity. Life will bring that to bear uh, sometimes. Life on TV if life is what I watch, it won't bring Christianity to bear. It really won't, right? But life isn't what you watch. You might think it is, but that's pretty sad. Uh, life is not what you watch. Life is what you do. And if you talk about what you do, you're going to have reasons to talk about Christianity. And if you have reasons to talk about Christianity and you've been reading the Proverbs and praying the Psalms and reading the Gospels, you're going to have things to say. You're going to have things Jesus said that mean something, right? So the church will do fine when we all want to be Christians, 
And what's happening right now is we have to like wake up. Oh, we must want to be Christians to be Christians. I'll say it again because it's like it sounds simple, but no, we must want to be Christians to be Christians. And now's our chance. The world hasn't ended yet. God has given us plenty of time, it would seem, right? So uh, dig in here. And then that means, though, when Caesar says burn incense to Caesar and you'll be fine, you don't do it. You don't do it, right? And that comes back to context. What's your context? Is wearing masks where you are at this time a symbol of your submission to Baal? Some places that might be true. Some places it might not be. And remember Naaman. Remember Naaman. You don't know what I mean? What did he have to do when he went back to Assyria with his master? And what did Elijah say to him? Elisha, excuse me. So it's, it's just not as clean as one either or. But certainly, if you're not fighting the good fight, then you're not fighting the good fight either. And that's just as important. All right. What's our time sitting at here, honey? 1025. 1025. Let's take, let's take a, a three-minute break here. I'm going to take a real break. We'll be back in a few minutes with more questions from you, Bible answers, my nonsense, and then some here on the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill. Stick around. You are listening to the Saturday Morning Chill from Mad Christianity. You can find it more at redfist.com. There you can get the Mad Christian Mondays. Go to slash newsletter. There you can send a question to the show. That's at slash contact. I think there's a link there to my Patreon page. You can go to patreon.com slash redfisk. Don't forget to check out A Brief History of Power with Two White Guys anywhere you can download podcasts. And uh, don't forget the Sons of Solomon at sonsofsolomon.net. That is the way you individually can hop on board immediately without losing a dime, just gaining some time in the Word of God, changing the world with the rest of us by knowing that Christ has already changed. It can't be beat, invincible, resurrected. He's coming soon. All that good stuff. My wife Meredith and I are here at uh, our little spot in Rockford and wanting to talk briefly this morning as sort of the beginning of an ongoing conversation that at one point we thought about podcasting separately. We may still do that. Who knows? But uh, I've let it be known that I think you know what you're talking about when it comes to parenting. And something came up last weekend as well. There was a question. I don't remember the specific question. Do you remember the specific question? No. No. But it was it was in the direction of would you two just start talking about parenting? Oh, okay. I think. I don't remember that. No, no. Was it specific? What do you remember? Last week, hmm. I well then I'll just go ahead and I'll just I'll just segue us then by saying um, yeah the, the direction was and we've gotten this from several directions before after one podcast for like two hours three years ago we just did on on kind of parenting um, for us to talk about it and and the reason why I think it's valuable at this point in our life to begin publicly talking about our experience as parents is one um, uh, we have five. From 16 to almost 8, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 8? She just turned? No. Yeah. Trinity still turns. Yeah. It's 8. She just turned 8. Yeah. Um, so from, from 16 to 8. So we, we've run a gambit. We've got girls and boys. We're living in America. We've done public school. We've done private school. We've done homeschool. Um, we're a pastor's family. We've got CPTSD thrown into the mix. Um, you know, so are we doing good? Are we not? Everyone who sees us in public says your kids are great. We see them at home, we think they're pretty great, but there's, there's times and moments. So to begin the conversation about parenting, I mean, if I ask you why, are you, why are you worth talking to or listening to about parenting, you'd be like, well, I don't know. So I, I don't want to ask that question directly, but it, that's the question you need to answer is uh, you have shown yourself to be capable of raising children that in public look respectable, clean, and literate they can talk and so um with that in mind like try to give me 
the most valuable thing about raising children in your mind? Short. Um, first of all, mm. one of our listeners says that my mic is too low and I have no idea how to turn it up. Okay, so I, it sounds better in my ear. Yeah, it should be. Just keep going. Keep going. Um, well, it, okay, so my one little takeaway nugget about how to raise children. Mm. They are tiny people. They're not computers. They're not robots. They're tiny people. And in that way, they're valuable. So keep going on that. Expand on that tiny nugget. They're tiny people. What do you mean when you say they're tiny people? Well, they're not computers. They're not pets. They're not pets. They're not handbags. You, it's not an accessory that you wear when you want to. They're people that you invest in the way that you would invest in your father your mother your husband or wife um they have value and they have a personality and my passion has always just been to explore that i love to get to know people i love to get to know what makes them tick and so being a mother for me has been a blessing because it's a constant puzzle of okay (laughs) I have to convince you to set the table. How do I speak to you specifically, tiny right, person? Right, right, Or not jump in the lake. You know, right, I right, have to right. convince you, tiny person, not to jump in the lake and die. Um, how can I do that? Hmm. What, will, what will your ears hear? Mm-hmm. And, um, and boys and girls are completely different. They, uh, they mature at different rates, and they have different things that help them. So... Girls are relationship-oriented, and boys, they need to know that they are powerful and that they have a purpose. Right. So you got tiny men and tiny women making up the tiny people. (laughs) And and seeing that is like a leg up on everything in in the West right now, um, wherein, you know, they are kind of there when you want them. That's how we we really look at them, and that's what things like daycare are for. Um, The kids are not always there. They're there when you want them. And uh, something about our willingness to abort children uh, is a direct assault on the humanity of humanity, that humans are not special or distinct from the animals, that humans are not people in a way that animals aren't, or that animals are people too. I think we've actually even seen that before. Um, And what you're saying is there's something very unique about a human, uh, very valuable about a human, and that the chief thing about parenting is that you've got one now. Right. You've got a human. So in um, Psalm 139, it talks about how we are specifically knit together in mm-hmm. our mother's womb. God has a purpose for you from the moment that the sperm meets the egg. It's not a matter of when you take your first breath. It's um, that he wanted you to be created at that moment and for that time and purpose. Um, so, yeah. I'm trying to think if I could have a different question to follow up with uh, rather than just moving on. But I definitely mm-hmm. want to say to everybody, you can you can jump in. I want to say to everybody that um, please feel free for future shows to direct questions about parenting to Meredith as well as to myself. And that when you know when she's here, we'll get her on uh, for her take on this. I have been involved more of a, as a headmaster than as the teacher in our household. And uh, for, for good or ill, I think there's some repenting on my part I want to do of that. But um, nonetheless, uh, you know, we, we've tag teamed this in a lot of ways. I can say some things, but there's certainly things she knows that I don't. And so uh, feel free to ask those questions. She's here on the show for that. You wanted to say? 
Um, well, there were two things. We were asked about how to teach your children the Bible. Oh, right. That so was the question. That, what you were that, was, that was the question. Before, I was yep. like, I have no idea yep. what you're That was the question. About. What's the specific question we were supposed to answer? I said, I want Meredith on to answer the question because she'll have a better answer than I will. How do we teach the Bible? Mm-hmm. I've answered in the past, what Bible? And you have often recommended the Golden Books Bible as yeah. just a nice picture Bible. I will recommend as like an introductory for young boys, especially the Kingstone uh, Bible Anthology is a three-part comic book, three-anthology comic book Bible. Mm-hmm. But this question, I mean, feel free to add to those or, or comment, but this question I think is less about what resource as how. Yeah. Right. Um, and I've been thinking about this for the past two weeks as we've waited for the mic to get set up and so forth. So, um, And... I have realized that it's more about what um, what makes you tick as a parent. You know, you cannot teach something that you don't know. Fair. So um, what Bible inspires you to sit down and cuddle up? Hmm. It's not really Hmm. um, about like inspiring the child until they're going to pick it up themselves. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. we're starting at a very young age. you know, a nursing infant, you can you can nurse or cradle or um, cuddle and read your Bible that you have on the shelf or by your bedside. But then as they get more curious, you just want to develop that, continue to develop that habit. So which one is going to bring you that desire to, to open feeling, you know? <laughs> two, two really valuable things there. And I think that the most valuable kind of parenting principle is when you said, you know, it doesn't matter whether the child thinks it's interesting or not in a sense, because they're going to think it's interesting. If you do, they're going to be disinterested insofar as, as a child they have, you know, if you're, if you're three months old, you're wiggling and pooping, but it doesn't mean you're not hearing Mm -hmm. what's going on. And it doesn't mean you're not learning from what's going on. So to understand that it's not about the child getting it or liking it, it's about you doing it right that that's number one and then well as you say what what bible inspires you i mean i think maybe some people just go oh yeah i'm not inspired to read the bible and that's been a topic of conversation here recently so let me ask you how or when are you inspired to read the bible and what parts of the bible most inspire you to open it um currently i really enjoy reading the bible when i first wake up so um our youngest oftentimes she'll wake up around the same time I do. And so she'll just crawl right in bed. And you have been guiding us to read the Psalter out loud. So um, I like the image of, you know, I'll tell the kids, read the Psalter out loud so the angels can hear you. Amen. That's right. And um, and then, you know, at that that moment when her tired little head pops into the bedroom and cuddles into bed with me, it's like, oh, look, now she's not an a cherub or any of those hallmark things, but right. if I put the words into her, she will repeat them back to me throughout the day. So she will be a messenger of God's word to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. So she's my little angel in that moment. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and she's, she's our little alleluia. I mean, she is. And, and that's, uh, that name, I, I, all of our kids' names, I've enjoyed being biblical names, but Alleluia has paid dividends because it just comes back as praise all the right. time, right? And it's just such a good word. So that's me personally reading my yeah. personal um, through the Bible. Because you've been like reading. gritty too. I mean, you're doing like this in a year chronological thing. Yeah. And you know, I did it before. Um, 
I believe it was the pledge I made. Oh, right, right, right. Set apart stewardship. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was in like 2018 to 2019. Yeah, yeah. That, and that was tough. Yeah. Um, I, to be honest, I didn't read most of it. I listened to a lot of it because if you get behind in your readings, you're like, oh, now I have to yeah. read nine chapters yeah. of Chronicles. You found and purgatory <laughs> is what you found. <laughs> um, so, so I took a break. Uh, I took a break, mm. to be honest. Mm. I was like, after reading through, I, and oh, and you know what? I didn't even make it all the way through. Mm. I stopped after the Gospels. Mm. So then, um, so then I just backed way off and didn't really read the Bible as a specific thing. I tried to read with the kids mm. through our golden Bible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we're still working our way through. But um, I missed it. I missed the, the thoughts that it provoked mm-hmm, in mm-hmm, my head. Mm-hmm. I missed the, um, that quiet time mm-hmm. of just having God's word in my, in my face, mm-hmm, <laughs> so mm-hmm. to speak. And so I went back, and instead of doing chronologically through the Old Testament to the New Testament, I did the New Testament to the Old Testament. So mm. I'm having to kind of transcribe my reading um, calendar a little bit for myself this okay. year. But I really enjoyed it. You're still it. trying to do it in a year. I you're am. taking that big chunk. Okay. And what's fun is you read, um, like, for example, I just recently read the first two chapters in Second Samuel. And then the next day, it had me go into the first two chapters in First Chronicles. Right. And so you Compare get the genealogies it. that make up who David is. Yeah, right. And now, today, I get to go hopping around in the Psalter and see what Psalms relate to what I'm That's reading cool. about in David's That's life. That's cool. But now, you're updating this, or this is the same one you used it's before? It's the same one, but I'm... Flipping it so that January 1st, I started the New in Matthew yeah. instead of what the guide has you start in Genesis. Yeah, right. Yeah. I think, rule number one about reading the Bible, not straight through. Just, just. I mean, you can. Do it once if you have to so you can say you did. And then it's just, it's just you don't need to. Yeah, you I, really don't need to. I mean, you're not going straight through. You're going, yeah, right? Coming at it from here are these things that tie together. That's why I'm really interested about this chronological election that you got uh, is because it ties pieces together. Yeah, huh? it has been fun. And to read it starting with the New Testament was very invigorating because now going through the Old Testament, you see like, oh, I remember that being mentioned in the Gospels. Right, or, oh, right, that's right. That makes a lot of sense, about, honey. You know? That's really clever. So it's, it's been fun. Um, however, now we're talking about me. So for my kids... Hmm. Um, why I mentioned we're reading through the, the golden Bible, but also I just read out loud mm-hmm. when I'm reading, if they come up, I read it out loud. And, um, when they were tiny, tiny er, I guess when Fides was beginning to read, we had the brick Bible, which, mm-hmm. you know, it's not the most respectful thing, but it got him to where he was raising his hand in Bible class yeah, right, right. and saying, Hey, but didn't this happen to Saul? And yeah. And knowing it's, more about the story than I yeah, did. Yeah, it's uh, you're right about the guy who did it is not trying to be respectful, but he was trying to be literal. And so he captures what's really going on, you know, right. for good or ill. And as a tool, it, it gives you a very clear perspective on how brutal, actually, <laughs> Legos, how brutal right. the Bible is. Uh, yeah. Mm. Um, and then the Sons of Solomon has been a big part of what the kids have been hearing about Mm -hmm. and then not so much daughters of wisdom just because 
it's not the main part. It's not, it's not what the sons of Solomon are pushing. It's right. waiting for the daughters of wisdom <laughs> to rise on their own, basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, so I thought, how can I train those who are coming up uh-huh. to be excited about this that they would get to grow into? Mm. And I realized, you know what? It's just about developing the habit. Mm-hmm. So among the kids, we developed a little thing, and we call it Little Nil little nuggets of knowledge and like they're little chicken nuggets these kids and um so there are only three psalms and and for the most part they're tiny Mm -hmm. um in the morning we do psalm eight Mm -hmm. uh, around breakfast time and then around lunchtime or before we go and play or whenever we can in the afternoon we do psalm oh i forgot let me look Psalm 23. How did I mm-hmm. forget that? <laughs> and that one's fun because a lot of them have memorized it mm-hmm. over the course of the past few years. And yep. so they can just say it, you know, as they're getting their sunscreen on to go into the lake or if we're driving. And then to close the day, it's um, Psalm 121. And all of those are just, they're blessings for us all as we take a, a moment to pause and pray together. So that's a really cool thing. Like you're taking a page out of the Sons of Solomon idea, which is that your body is a clock. Your your heart and your lungs, your breath are, are the real clock. It's tied to the clock of the sun, the moon, the stars. And then we have these, these little magical tools that we call clocks that track it all. But your body is a clock. And then your words have the power to be a spiritual clock for your body. Mm-hmm. And by grabbing the same words to say them daily as your clock of spirit and life from Jesus... That that's the idea behind Sons of Solomon. And so what you've done is you're like, oh, that works. We'll do a family one, bam, right? And it's like, here's our family liturgy, yeah, right? And um, yeah, that's beautiful. You take the principle and you apply it where you are. It's great. I I liked Psalm eight from the morning because it talks about um, the little babes and infants, and then it also speaks about God's creation. And so as the sun's rising and we're beginning our day, we can recognize um, recognize who's in charge. And then Psalm twenty three gives us a moment of regrouping in the middle of the day who again who is our lord and what has he promised he's going to do for us and then um 121 is it's comforting yeah no i mean i i actually have never publicized this but i have another set of three i say every morning and 121 23 and i'm losing the number strength of my life whom shall i dread um when the evil doer arises to eat up my flesh it was they who stumble and fell that's 27 no, I don't. No, don't know that. Mm, mm, okay, so in any case, it, and it's only elements it's of that one. Um, no, it's definitely not, not 28. 28. 28 is awesome, but it's not 28. <laughs> so yeah, you pick some of the same ones. I, in fact, the first one I I start with Sons of Solomon, but then um, yeah, I start with 121 there in that section, and I end with 23. But 121, mm-hmm. I lift up my eyes to the foothills from whence my help comes. Yeah. Um, it's just a nice way to go to bed. Yeah, it's a nice way to wake up too. I mean, it's, it's, true. it's it, that's true. W- this is not a test, so feel free to, to punt on it, right? <laughs> but what do you think that means? What do you think about when it says I lifted my eyes to the foothills? What do you what do you think that's referring to? Wow. Um, what do you, I mean, when you pray I mean, it, you pray it, right? How do you pray it? Well, I guess when I think about it. Um, Where are these foothills? What are you looking to? Well, I would assume that it's Mount Zion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm, 
I'm assuming that I'm looking to Christ and to his correct. Yeah. His majesty. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're going, these are the Psalms of ascent. They are for praying while you come back from pilgrimage or not from pilgrimage from diaspora. You're, you're exiled. You're living away from Jerusalem. You're coming post exile to the temple again for services. And you're singing these songs as you ascend to Jerusalem, the mm-hmm. Psalms of ascent. And this is one of the first ones where right? you got mm-hmm. 119 and you got 120 before this one. Okay. 120 starts it. And then this one, 121. And it's, I lift up my eyes. I've been singing as I walk and now I look up and we're at the foothills. Right. Zion's still way out that way, but there's the foothills and my help comes from there, the temple, the Ark of the Covenant, which for you, Christian, of course, is Jesus ascended to the highest heaven, but by all means, do you know what direction your local church is? Because that's what I do, is I face our local church and I lift up my eyes in the direction of the altar, the foothill of Zion, from whence my salvation, Jesus, the King of the Ark, actually comes and will come again. Yeah. So it's it's really cool. It's not just about being out in the mountains and the trees, right? Which I've heard I've heard it taken that way. Which is really sad. Yeah. One twenty one. It's so good. Twenty three is so good. Using using Psalms as a clock and binding your family together with the mind of Christ. Literally very wise thing to do as a mother. Um again, questions and comments for Meredith about parenting going forward. Always welcome here on the Saturday morning chill. Uh we got two more questions I want to make sure we get to from y'all this morning. So we'll start with question E. Question E from now hold on here. Is from Zach, but now I have an E2 that probably is supposed to be an F2. Hmm. So we'll start with E. Uh, here we go. E's easy. As a, I shouldn't say that. It's not an easy question. It is an easy piece of paper. There's one. There'll be one, one picture. Zach writes in. Hey, Zach. Been a little while, I think. Yeah. Um, hey, I'm curious to get your thoughts on tattoos. Yeah, I'd like to get my thoughts on tattoos too. I have gotten several, all Christian symbols. You mean tattoos, not thoughts. You probably have thoughts too. All Christian symbols that draw my mind to the things of God. That is when you look at the tattoo on your arm or wherever, it is in fact pointing you back to Christ according to what you see, right? Is what I was talking about earlier about how symbols are largely a matter of what you see. Um, how are you hearing what's being heard and has it been twisted so you can't hear it anymore, right? So, all right. However, I have read Leviticus 19 and wonder if I have gone against God. That is, it says you shall not tattoo yourself like the people around you, right? Uh, but I also recall reading somewhere that early Christians and church fathers had tattoos to mark themselves as Christians. That's the main reason I got them. Similarly to wearing a crucifix, it's a little different than the crucifix. I mean, I feel this is a messy... <laughs> You've had a tattoo. You know it's a messy subject. I feel this is a messy subject with Christians on both sides of the argument. I would appreciate your guidance. Yeah, you know... um, the, the advice I used to give to my youth group was, of course you get a tattoo once you're 25. And they'd all, everyone would just kind of stop and, and no one likes this answer. <laughs> That's why I give it. Yes, of course you get a tattoo when you're 25. When you're 25, you will finally have reached the point in life where you can imagine your death. And then we'll be able to understand how long you're going to have this tattoo and make a wise decision about it. You know what's going to happen to most people if they wait till after 25? No tattoos. Just kind of like wisdom right there, right? That's the way it's going to be. You're going to get there and be like, yeah, you know, it's a lot of work. I'm not sure what I'd even get. And, you know, da-da-da-da-da. Okay, so so there's that just to begin with, right? Like, what is this really achieving? How is this part of, like, your game plan for a valuable and purpose-filled life in which you pass your faith to the next generation? Now, if after 25 you're like, okay, well, I still want a tattoo to remind me of my faith, then we enter into a different kind of conversation. But if you're under 25, just remember you're dumb. Like you're just born dumb. Like you can't even talk when you're born. That's how dumb you are, right? And once you start talking, like I'm smart and see, that's dumb. 
You don't say that. Well, you do, but then you don't know that it's not smart, right? And so once around your 25, you're like, oh, I'm not smart. And we're like, good, you're almost beginning to be wise, but you're still dumb, right? And, and from there, beginning to be wise, maybe you can make a good decision about things that last the rest of your life, like scarring your body with ink and blood. And here's where my kind of mind has been wrestling with this one more. I've said this publicly, that I think that Acts chapter 15 and the prohibitions from the apostolate is one of the most important things we haven't thought enough about kind of ever in Lutheranism, at least, insofar as it seems to me to potentially be a summary of the Ten Commandments for Gentiles to understand the spiritual wisdom of them there, those Ten Commandments. And one of these is to refrain from blood, which may refer to just eating blood, which is something that you're not supposed to do at certain times and places within Israelite Levitical code, but has a lot more to do with things like blood guilt and the shedding of blood and the, the marring of your conscience and your soul by this blood guilt and the need for redemption from blood and all these kinds, even even up to the level of, of eating the sacrifices after the blood has been poured out. So there's definitely blood ritual going on in Old Testament Israel, and this of course points to the cup, the New Testament in Christ blood, on and on and on, right? Well, here's the thing about tattoos, okay? They shed blood, and they shed a whole lot of it, usually. So what is the similarity between, say, the shedding of blood and a tattoo, the twisted things of, of sorcery and, and strangling and all those things that mystery cults do in secret, and the pornea lifestyle of adulterous, divorcing, uh, every, you know, uh, pro, copulate with anything and anyone as long as it's not a, a monogamous, single, heterosexual relationship the rest of your life. You know, is there, is there an overlap? I mean, when you go to the tattoo parlor, what do you find by and large? Right. Does that mean Christians can't be there? No, that's what I'm saying. Um, but what I'm saying is, where's the wisdom these days? I think that's just a more important question. Do we know that God has abrogated the Levitical codes so that we don't have to keep them in order to be saved? Do we know that? Yes. So you, if you have a tattoo, if you're going to get a tattoo, you're not not being saved by this. Does that mean that works of darkness charms and magic done upon you without your knowledge by someone who is tattooing you with their own juju and shedding blood as they do it, whispering it to themselves, and they don't even tell you because they're a pagan. Why would they tell you? And they're actually marking you with something you don't know about? Is that possible? Can evil people do that? Yeah. Yeah. And you might be stuck with some torment you're not even aware you have, which makes it hard to do things like read the Bible, right? Now, how's your Bible reading? You ask the question. Are you reading the scriptures? Are you? Well, then, I mean, your tattoos from your past, again, your whole past, your whole past is covered in the blood of Jesus. It is the present that getting into the scriptures matters in. And whenever you're there, you're there as a son of God. Now, as a son of God, knowing you're going to rise from the dead, to what end is the tattooing happening now? And in what spiritual context? What's the proximity? What religion is tattooing you when you get tattooed? That's my question. And again, I ask that as a question as a hypothesis, as one who more or less was like, oh, they don't matter. Don't call unclean what's been called clean. I'm with that. Salvation, that's what that's about. Justification on the last day. But that doesn't mean that it's wise to eat nothing but pork flesh. Try it sometime. Now, I mentioned being carnivore. You know, I am. And I'll eat some pork. But I'll tell you what, once you know, like the dense, good meat that is in beef and, you, and you're like living on that, if you're eating that every day and then you eat like a plateful of pork, you're going to be hungry still. You're going to be really disappointed. Why? Well, the nutrient density isn't the same. Again, this is science. You can go check this out. But the, the point here again, so it's not that the Bible had these laws about clean and clean just arbitrarily. 
when James says to look into the law of liberty, it's because there's wisdom there. But when you find the wisdom, the wisdom is not to be applied as a precept upon precept and principle upon principle by which you justify yourself and declare yourself healthy in God's sight, right? Rather, it is to be what you talk about as you walk on the road, lest you be led astray to roads that are wide and windy and filled with death and prostitutes whoring their evils, right? And that's Proverbs talk there. So, you know, what do you see in that tattoo world? What, what are the signs and symbols that would lead you to believe that this is a, a healthy thing for us to do as a Christian community? And, you know, as one again who has a tattoo, um, who has contemplated getting a tattoo of, of various things from the ship of the church to the office of the keys to uh, the word and sacrament on my body, you know, Hebrew, Greek, all these kinds of things. Um, at this point, my own personal thing is like, Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Why am I getting a tattoo? That, that's, that's where I'm at, right? So all my decision-making is running through this filter. Jesus is either coming back tomorrow or 100 years from now. And so I have to have my decisions fit both of those scenarios. And tattoo just doesn't line up well. It just doesn't fit. It's like, why? That just sounds like kind of a, just for me, right? So like, why would I do that? Now, granted, I'm not saying I can live that way my whole life and, and never stumble, right? That's not I'm saying either. I think it's a really good filter, though, for asking, is this wise, I think that putting it in this in the question of like, well, it's sin, not sin, makes it so we can't really even talk about it because then we're just talking about salvation right away. And, and the fact is that the salvation has been accomplished in order for us to repent of things we can't see. It is because we're standing on the certainty of salvation that we can look at a practice which might be nothing to us now, but once wasn't. And for others who are not Christians, it's not nothing. It's demons. We can look at that and be like, I'm not going to practice that. Maybe because there's demons involved. That's a good idea. And then, you know, trying to live at peace while we wait for our Lord to return and burn all those demons to hell, like like literally directly and can't wait. Hallelujah. Here he comes. Yeah. So so that, that's where I'm at on this. It is a messy argument and the shedding or messy issue and the shedding of blood. Um by man just seems to be one of those other kind of like pre 1900s assumptions. Um, like everybody in every civilization ever before our own weird modern one knew that shedding blood had spiritual implications. And it's still the case in the East. Why have we just decided it doesn't? And then why are we ignoring it when the Bible says that we shouldn't ignore it? That that's where I'm like, Oh, this is a nervous thing. But, Frank, I mean, all of you out there, you know, if you got a tattoo, you're a tattoo artist. Like, I'm not telling, it's like the NBA question from earlier. Where were you in 2020? Where were you before 2020? Where are you now? Where do you want to be in 10 years? Use wisdom. Don't react with moralism. Rely on the wisdom of the scriptures. Don't react with moralism. Rely on the wisdom of the scriptures. All right. Good question, Zach. All right. Is this the right order now, my friend? Thank you very much. From Gian, she says this. I got to take a sip of water. Can I get that five second block? So, have you do that now? Oh, you want a five I want you to do the five second one. There you go. Is that the main one? <laughs> we'll get this. We'll get this. It's all kinds of fun. This is from Jan. She says, uh, I grew up with a friend of mine at an LCMS church. She was the baptismal sponsor of my oldest daughter. She taught at a charter school and got caught up in BLM and critical race theory. Fun. Um, I voted for Trump 
that's you, yeah, uh, which drove her nuts, yeah, because these two can't really contain, right, live together side by side peacefully, no. Uh, she was very angry with me and collected a number of our classmates who joined in her attacking others who did not endorse BLM and CRT. I repeatedly tried to tell her we don't believe any of this as Christians, meaning, the, you know, the, the BLM Marxist anti-fatherhood propagandists. That's the main thing that the state is the family and uh, is meant to be run by those who once were oppressed, who rise up and cast off the oppressor and bring about the workers' paradise by stealing from everybody, basically. And it's happened multiple times. It never really works out too well. And for some reason, we all want to think it does when it's going to help us. Mainly, it's because we're foolish, mad, crazy people chasing our pagan wiles out in that worldly world. Anyhow, God bless your friend. She is definitely led by the nose on this one. Although, please, I'm going to say this very uh, carefully, but I mean it with all firmness, like, so BLM, Trump, let's fight. Um, that's both the same problem. Trump wasn't going to fix anything. And if you, I mean, he, I, I voted for him too. I like some of the things he did. I definitely liked his policy decisions. I mean, he, he did what he said he was going to do. I didn't really, I mean, whatever. He, the Trump shows the Trump show. It's all a show. It's all a show. They're not going to let us be in charge. They're not going to let us be free. They are enslaving us right now. You got those payments from the government already. If you got a family already, right? You get those credits. Don't spend that. Save that. They're going to charge that back next year. Save that. <laughs> Goodness gracious. It's it's quite evil. A brief history of power to white guys. I mentioned that yet. You can listen to Dr. Kuntz and I talk that stuff all day long. Back to your question. I know that I was relentless because she was my best friend in Christ. So you, you were, you were actively attacking yeah, offending, uh, going at the issue. Now, were you doing this personally or were you doing this, say, via the internet? Please remember, anytime you try to have a conversation on the internet, you are fighting. It's just what happens. If you're going to debate on the internet, you're going to fight and it's what's going to happen. Um, that probably will not be received well by the person you want to reach out to. And if they're going to fight back like this fly, well, then again, you're, you're going to have fractured relationships, which remember, that's what the zeitgeist wants. It wants you to watch the TV, pick a side, and then fight, so you get distracted from what they're actually doing, which is slowly leeching the economy out of any ability to self-sustain itself, uh, to which you would want to like withdraw from the fight, stop spending all your time watching and worrying, and put your hand to something that might be here 10 or 15 years from now, because that's what we're going to need, is that kind of living. Anyhow... Going forth, we were just to mend, about to mend our fences when she suddenly died. This is so sad. You're, you're going to be friends again, right? As a consequence, I have been shunned by all who knew her, including her mom, dad, and brother, and all her classmates, because they didn't know that you'd been forgiven, right? And you were on the mend of that. I try to understand that. I know that I could have done many things differently. That's good. We Own, own your weakness here. Um, I'm struggling to get my brain wrapped around what happened. Well, the Lord gave a left turn to everybody and it wasn't meant for anybody to know that you two had reconciled. So whatever that means, the Lord has a plan. Christians are shunning other Christians. That's the issue, right? How do we manage this? Who is right? Who is wrong? That's the issue. We did not manage this. We, we refused to manage this. Uh, it happens by listening to gods who are not your God. And whether you're listening to the talking head of Trump on the screen or whether you're listening to the talking head of whoever gets thrown out there next, is it Fauci, right? Who's, who's the big kind of face right now on the left? Whoever gets thrown out there, the talking heads are gods. They're gods to you. They're gods to us. They have told us what to do and we have jumped. They have told us what truth is and we have listened. They have told us what science is and they've changed science and they've changed definitions about what reality is. They want us to keep laws that can't even be kept because they're not even possible anymore. They want to tax us to do things that are impossible. You think they're actually going to achieve that or are they just going to loot the entire system? I think they're going to loot the entire system. But again, what happened? 
their game plan is to divide us so they may leech us. Who's they? Demons for sure. Definitely the elite in their kind of targeted sections. They want to stay elite. They want to stay wealthy. And so all of us that have sat in our individual homes for the last 30 years, we go home to our individual place. We turn on the blue flickering screen and we let it tell us what to think. That has turned into a programmatic dividing of us into various section groups that aren't even real. They're mythologies that have been made up about who we are historically. They're way too big to to really describe any of us. And yet, because we're so zealously addicted to the worship of these gods and their talking faces, that we are willing to go to a neighbor and actually hate the neighbor, the person right next door, because of two people so far away, we could never actually possibly talk to them, and they might as well be the Wizard of Oz. In fact... I think that's what's going on, if you hear what I'm saying. So, Christians shunning other Christians, that just shows that we don't know what Christianity is about. Christianity doesn't shun. You definitely walk away from the evildoer. You definitely don't eat with one who says, I'm a Christian, and then goes out and like is the whore of Babylon directly. But Christians don't turn their back on people who need forgiveness. Like We just don't do, like, 70 times 7 and all that, right? So, shunning... Not the primary mode here, right? And so, yeah, it's sad that we see this happening all over the place. And again, uh, is this Christianity that's doing this, or is this the worship of these screens? And I'm going to contend it's the worship of the screens. Turn them off. Start writing stuff down. Start thinking about the news over time with your own head. Start applying biblical knowledge, Psalms and Proverbs, to your life. And what you're going to find is that we've been into Disneyland merry-go-round like you wouldn't believe and thank God you can wake up and still watch everyone spin while you just kind of plan to live here till Jesus gets back. Because that's a lot easier than trying to keep the miracle around from, from blowing up. I mean, that's, are you ready for the fire? Like, that's it. <laughs> Flies. Are you ready for the fire? I mean, this is, this is what Christianity says. We are ready for the fire. The fire is going to purge the evil. The fire is going to purify us. Washed in the blood of Christ, we are going to rise through that, right? So why would we shun each other over something like death or helping the poor? Why would we not instead, locally, stop debating about how the government's going to help the poor in D.C.? Yeah, right. Um, make more is what they're going to do. Uh, and instead, try to help the poor here locally. I, I, can I share? I'll share this story locally. Um, I, I hope it doesn't hurt any feelings. It, it shouldn't. But like, <laughs> so one of the things, you know, the apostles say to, to Paul when he first goes back and talks to them in Jerusalem about dogma and justification. Am I teaching it right? It's grace. That's what Jesus said. You know, They're like, yeah, absolutely. Just remember the poor. He's like, yeah, I want to do that too. Right. So remembering the poor, having the awareness that whoever you are, there's someone who's lower than you, who you can help. How do you bring that into the life of a congregation? And I, I, this question's come up at our local congregation in a couple of meetings. And uh, so there's there's uh, a couple of groups that have worked together, but mainly the ladies group, one of the ladies groups, there's two of them, uh, has put together these packets to hand out to people on the street because we got lots of homeless people in Rockford. They're all over the place. So we have these packets that have like a pair of socks. They got, you know, a sardine can and a plastic spoon. There's healthy fat and, and protein right there. Uh, so a couple other things, you know, a small catechism tract and all this. And like, and so we, we have them all prepared. They're in a box for people to take home, right? And then the question comes up, so what are we doing to help the poor in this church? Like at, at an at a, at a, like official meeting, right? And I'm like, well, we got these things out here, you know, to take home and yada, yada, yada. Same meeting, 10 minutes later. So are we going to do anything to help the poor? <laughs> so I, I think what it is, is what they were asking is, are we going to send money far away to charity? 
Okay, you follow? Yeah. So, so when we talk about these things, we are so divorced in our minds from actually outside the door that we don't think that counts as helping the poor. It's not that kind of charity, right? And so I, what I want to encourage you is with your, your question again, how you can handle this one, I mean, you have to pray for seeing your way through the suffering of the present moment and know that you're helping a bunch of others who are hearing about your trial and then uh, being encouraged to remember uh, such, such were the prophets treated, right? I mean, if you're going to be on offense, meaning you're going to pick up the cross and walk and stand in the narrow way of Jesus' words, and you're going to say Jesus' words out loud, including those prayers he was always going off to pray in the corner, that's the Psalms, right? You're going to say these words out loud. You're going to know that the world is going to shun you from time to time. You're going to know that the world's going to definitely be confused by you. They're going to think that you're evil also. And when this happens, such they did to your master. Why would you think you're any different? Yeah. So again, uh, gird up your loins, weary sinner. Remember that uh, you are here to continue repenting every day. That's all of us. All of us. None of us get to live through tomorrow where we're like, yep, I'm ready and I never had a problem. It's instead... I repent, Lord Jesus, walk me through this day. Fill me with your spirit that I might remember my birthright. Uh, And in that, when you find yourself shunned, I guess it's turn the other cheek. Try to speak a word of wisdom. Try to do what you may, but you're also you not going to force the hand, right? Pearls before swine does come to mind. Look at that one. That's flying low. It's like like 1942 England right there, you know, kind of thing. Um, So um, we got a local, little local airport nearby. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like I had one more thing I wanted to say, but I, I, I tangented from it there. Um, I, I, let me say this. Let me say this. I, I have a little self-published book called Talk Them Into It. You can get it for free when you sign up for Mad Mondays. You get a digital copy. You can buy a paper copy on Amazon.com. It's a two-part book. Part of it's about convincing people that the resurrection happened. It's it's pretty straightforward stuff. It's really my gold, actually. But before it talks about convincing people that the resurrection happens, it first talks about convincing people, just in general, how to have a conversation with people. And as a handbook for some basic tactics so you don't get blindsided and beat up by these conversations, especially on the internet, yeah, um, I, I, I highly recommend this. You just got to go get it. Take a few notes on it. Write down, jot yourself some notes about do this, don't do that. There, it's laid out really clearly, um, only, what, 45 pages probably for, to, to read that section. Um, and it should help you at least reckon with like, okay, how do I learn from this relationship uh, in the future? Is there a way that if I know somebody is out of a completely different worldview, or, or I should really say, if I know somebody is apostatizing from Christianity for another religion that they don't realize is another religion, how do I really go about telling my friend that they're leaving Jesus behind, right? Um, and, and maybe this wasn't the case with this person. However, the, you know, certainly being assaulted by religious ideas that are deceptive and wicked, right? I'm not going to be your judge on Judgment Day, but but learning from the experience, moving forward, and uh, not being surprised that the demons divide us when they run our when they run our life. Oh, there's more here. I see two local LCMS churches as suffering from the ostrich syndrome, afraid to tackle the hard stuff and feel like I have nowhere to turn for advice or guidance from a pastor. Um, uh, we'll leave that one there. Should, should I have just kept my mouth shut and out of it? Uh, I knew I was twist, it was twisted thinking. I just really wanted her to see the truth. Okay, so again, were you chilling on your back patio talking over the fence or was this like a Facebook private message? Because my answer is really dependent on that. Like, should you have kept your mouth shut? I mean, did you use your mouth or your fingers? 
Because if you use your fingers, then I think you should have kept your fingers shut. I really do. I don't think that trying to argue with someone in any Facebook debate forum, wherein you haven't already agreed this is where we argue, I don't think it's going to go well. I think people are prepped to reject the messaging because they're only going to select the messaging that supports their narrative, their myth. And for most people, the myth has long ceased to be Christianity has become something else. And I know I didn't say Christianity is a myth. It's just the story that, that many people have rejected. So, um, so I, yeah, I would have avoided arguing on the internet at all costs. It's, it's a complete waste of your time and often will only harden the person further. You can say that's what the word of God does sometimes. True, true. Um, I'd rather talk it, say it to my neighbor who's real, right? I'd rather figure out ways to be in their life and then believe over time the word God gives me for the proximity around me, the one he talks about in the Bible, uh, will do a lot more than that that magical proximity that just shows up on the screen and says it's nearby, but it's actually really far away and never would have been here in any age prior to this one. That's really, again, just a stunning thing. So she, she closes up. She says, my heart aches. Did I do the right thing? Should I repent? We always should repent. Yeah. And you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Uh, my prayers are nonstop. Good. Paul says, pray continuously. Uh, I'm at a loss how to manage my thought process and heart through this. Well, yeah. So it's just your, your pain, right? Grief. Grief is normal and okay. So know that you're grieving. That means you're going to be angry. It means you're going to be sad. You know why those are, but you also don't. You're probably fighting to, to reject some of why that is. The best thing to do, again, is to write it out, come back to it the next day. If you say, I was wrong, that's good. Then you're learning through your grief. You write out something different, right? And you grow in that process. So uh, managing grief, writing, spending some time pondering that, writing about the grief, letting yourself cry, pretty key. Pretty key as well. I know that's hard for a lot of people. I get it. Um, any comfort you could give would be very much appreciated. Hey, he is risen. How's that? Uh, thank you for all that you do. I'm not kidding. He is risen. He could be back any moment now. Look, this is one of my favorite things right now. I love this card. It's right here so I can see it. When you fear, look up at the sky. Oh, yeah. Why? Why? Because he's arisen. Because he is coming back. Because when you look at the sky and take just a moment, you can actually count. Uh, he'll be back in three, two. Ooh. Like, what would it be like? What would it be like? It resurrected in that moment. I don't know. Do that at the Lord's Supper sometime, right as you're about to eat it. But I mean, again, I like to do it throughout the day. That's why I have that card right there. When you fear, look at the sky. If I catch myself in any type of worry, if I catch myself feeling like I got to hurry up and go save or do or be, it's like, so let's breathe here, Jonathan. Let's look up. Let's remember Jesus could come back at any moment. Oh, I don't think he's going to. Yeah, you're right. I don't think he's going to, but he could. So how about you imagine it for a second as if it were true, because it is true that he could just because you don't think he's going to. He could and he might. And it doesn't matter if he does what I want you to do, Jonathan, is remember that he could. Because then when I come back and I look at whatever's next, it's just not as big a deal as it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, remember, you can support the show. My family, all we do here at 4242 Lakeside in Rockford. You can watch the show. Did you know that? You can watch the show live during the summer. We broadcast from the garage. Uh, apparently, there's a garage sale somewhere in this neighborhood. But no one drove by. Where, how you knew about it? Where are the signs on like the other side? Is it over in Tullock's Woods? Yeah, they're... <clears throat> oh, my goodness. That was like <laughs> big frog. They're on Riverside. On Riverside? Yeah. That's not even like close Riverside to over here. in Owen Center. Yeah. Wow. It's really far. Yeah. So no, nobody driving by, but you're welcome to come by. Let us know if you if you are. We'd love to welcome you and have you watch the show, hang out with the kids, check out the lake, all that kind of stuff. Um, otherwise, again, Patreon is the way to support. Get yourself Mad Christian Mondays, a brief history of power. I feel like I'm forgetting one of the things I always do uh, that I'm not recommending yet today. Was it Mad Christian Discord? We talked about all that. It don't matter. We'll catch y'all next time. Until then, would, would, you, would you do this for me? Would you remember this for me? The world is worldly. That means it's not heavenly like it should be. 
the heavens and the earth that we have are disintegrating around us. The Lord in his mercy sustains us for the sake of salvation. But really, everything's completely falling apart, just completely falling apart. But Christianity, the fact that he is risen, the fact that you are paid for, the fact that you are immortal now, means that while you wait for his return, you do not have to wallow in this muck with those who have no hope. But you can lift up your head, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. Hallelujah. Rock on. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please?